This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport fan network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win... Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to another edition of 50 Years of Chelsea, done by us lot, the Chelsea Fancast, where every week, while we were bored in lockdown, we thought, wouldn't it be fun? Wouldn't it be fun to go back in time and like do a kind of a Chelsea Fancast number on uh, each season from 1970 onwards? Why 1970, you ask? Well, of course, it's 50 years ago, and of course, it was the anniversary of us winning the FA Cup for the first time. So it seemed like a good place to start, not least because a lot of us kind of started supporting the club around then. And, uh, and on we have gone, and it's been great fun, and it continues to be great fun, even when we've had some pretty ropey seasons. Um, I will leave you to decide about this forthcoming season, which of course is 1986-87. Uh, but before we get into all of that, a very hearty welcome to Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Lovely to be on the show again, Chibs. Though I feel occasionally I'm possibly overdoing it because I appear to be on every show. But at the same time, uh, uh, thank you for having faith in me. Well, we did establish last night that it is the JK and Chidge show. So you would have to be on every show. Oh, I forgot about that. You're right. Yeah, but you, you, when I ask you, you always say yes. I don't even bother anymore. <laughs> no, I'm just there. I'm there. I'm there. I'm up for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you can have a week off if you need one. Just let me know. You know can so. I? Oh, yeah. You yeah. thought I was locked in forever. Well, you kind of are, but, but I, I, I can lie, can't I? Anyway, it's always a delight to have you delight, on the show. Delight, delight. Lovely. I'm with such esteemed guest, as always. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to introduce them? No, not particularly. You do. Well, I'm going to say, when these guests are arriving. Oh, oh, very good. Oh, very good. Oh, uh, Dan. Oh. Dan, Dan hey, everybody. It's Dan Silver. Yeah, oh. Dan, Dan's ruined the moment totally by chirping right. out. But we do have the, uh, we, well, as always, of course, we kind of have a mix of you know, fan cast regulars, and sometimes we get some very clever people on. No, not, not trying to insinuate that you're not clever, boys, but sometimes we get people like uh, Kelvin Barker, Mark, me, and Tim Rolls, and so on and so forth. But this is a real 
This is a real Chelsea fancast mashup tonight. And uh, Dan, as you've just heard, Dan, how are you? Yeah, really good. Very good. Good to talk about a season I remember not very fondly. <laughs> well, indeed, we'll get into that. And of course, somebody who we haven't seen for a long while is the lovely Tony Glover. How are you, Tony? I'm very well, Cheech. Uh, and I think because I did, I did. The, I was on the main fancast a couple of weeks ago. Mm, you were. Um, but on this one, I think they did 1970. You as did. I recall, because that was the season it all started for me. That's right. Um, and then, um, and I, I'm with Dan, this, this particular season is a season um, that I don't remember very fondly. Uh, and for, 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 for reasons that weren't just football, uh, not, not, the, not the, um, the, the level of football, it was, you know, uh, a, a, just a, a poor time, I think, in in society and, and there was lots going on, but not least of all, I think we were uh, in the second year of a European ban and British football, English football specifically, was in a, a pretty poor way, I think. But, but, you know, by the fact that we had to make our own cup competitions up. Yeah. Uh, were you, were you going a lot in these days? Because, I mean, you're right. We haven't seen you for a while, have we, on, on this? Uh, I, I went to occasional games with my brother because I, I believe in, up to, I can't remember what date it was, but you could pretty much get <coughs> tickets on the day. Uh, so it invariably, it invariably involved, involved, involved me and my brother a pub down the road called the Imperial, yeah, uh, <laughs> which which was which was an interesting place to drink, um, and uh, and occasionally um, one or two of the other pubs around that area, uh, and, and, but we would often go into the games four or five pints to the wind. Um, uh, and, and so, I, I, much, I don't know. As, much as we do today, Tony. Yeah, I think so. But I think, I, I, I think, if anything, watching some of the videos back and, and, and my own memories of it is no matter how much people moan about the business of modern football, the, the, the stadia and, and everything associated with it is just a hundred times better. I know people who have rose tinted glasses on, but the stadium was an absolute shithole. Well, it was like Beirut inside and outside of the ground. Yes, it was. It was, it was just dreadful. But, you know, it was the permanent presence of the police and the stands and things that you don't see these days. And I, I, just, I don't know. It, it's interesting that it's come up. I'm on this. I've watched a few of the games to remind me of it. Um, I've got a few of my old programmes tucked away as well. Um, uh, and, and, and I think it was a time for me that I, I would almost say it's the closest I've come to falling out of love with fo football in general. Until now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan. But, but we had new kit and, well, a, new, and a scoreboard. We, a scoreboard with little happy jumping people when we scored. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I saw them jumping up twice when we lost 6-2. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> that again. They were, but they were, they were the same. It was that kind of slightly crappy um, video game where all you had was a, what, 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 Atari game. Eight-bit game. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, it, and you'd... Um, uh, but the kit was was a revelation. Wasn't well, I'm going. I want to get in. I want to get into the. I want to get into the kit first up. You've clearly read the script, J.K. So you get a gold star immediately. Even if I hadn't. Well, <clears throat> even if you hadn't, it's still first on there because I have to say, um, as we all know, people you know yet to be discovered in the Amazon rainforest know that the Lecoq Sportif kit from last season is my favourite Chelsea kit. Great kit. Great kit last season. So what do Chelsea do this season? But they introduced this thing called the Chelsea Collection. Now, it's a kind of a lighter blue, which gets nil point for me for a start. 
Yeah. Uh, it's very plain. It's got white, just big, thick white stripes down the arm. I mean, basically, it looks homemade, which it was, because basically they, they told Lecoq Le Sportif to jog on and decided, Bates decided to do it themselves. But here's the thing, the, the, the worst thing that I think people might forget about it in all the horror of the kit itself, this is the dawning of the Bates badge, JK, the Millwall Lion. Uh, yes, yes, it is. Wasn't that due to a copyright problem though with the original, or was it that he didn't want to? Uh, he wanted to break break away from anything. Yeah, with, that was. Uh, I always thought it was a second Yeah, it was. A, it was. A, it was. It was him. Uh, another uh, another attempt at stamping his mark on the club as opposed to anything that went before it, which of course it started when he took over and he banished ex players from. Uh, you know the ground and that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was, he, 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 he was a hangers-on. He, 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 he described them as yes. hangers-on, didn't he? Expert. Yeah, and he may well have been right. But I think he was he was showing signs of his despotic nature at this point, which of course we know escalated even no. more. And, and of course, and of course, his wonderful program notes. You have to say, yeah. the one thing about him as a as a manager that that was was you could not deny was his ability to tell a good tale or have yeah. a go at somebody in the program. It was the first thing you looked at in the program. It was always an interesting read. And I always felt, oh, this is a shame. He hasn't, he hasn't had a go at anybody this week. So something yeah. talking about something in the, in the community or something. Now, he, you, you, two, always were, have a go. you two were both old gits at the time. <laughs> no, you were. You were. You were compared to Dan. And that's my point. Now, that, the reason I say this is that, like now, we all look at kits going, meh, they're for children. Well, Dan was what, 13, 14? 13. Yeah, yeah, just had 13. Oh, I, I wonder if you had a different perspective of the kit than miserable old scrotes. Like, when well, um, I say miserable old scrote, I was only 20, I don't know, 22 in 87, 21. Yeah. So, Dan? Um, it was Chelsea's. So I liked it. I mean, I got bought it as a Christmas present that year, full kit. And I just thought it was Chelsea. I didn't, I didn't really have. You know, the connection to the old classic kits. I just thought it was Chelsea and I liked it. I did think it was a bit it weird. It blue and you didn't it's care. Blue. Yeah, and the quality was appalling. I think after like two washes, it started to all bobble and it was really, it didn't last till the end of the season. It was absolutely appalling. And that was the mint green away kit, wasn't it, as well? Um, I, do you know what? I, I, I think it might have been, actually. Yeah, because I remember the mint green Chelsea collection. It might it, have been shade. Like, it looked like pyjamas, didn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. I have to say, I, I, I found the, because they had unbelievably short shorts. I mean, oh, they, they had, they had ball, ball crushing short shorts. Yeah. You could see, you know, you, you could see your manhood. You knew, you knew who had a large cock and who didn't, you know. Yeah. The very, or even a bit large. ironic, really, when last season we were wearing Lecoq Sportif. Very, yes, indeed. Uh, but they were baggier, weren't they? They were, they were still a bit brief, because that was the era, the era of, of tightness. But this lot were... You just thought, oh my goodness me, it's all thigh. Yeah. Um, but I just to tell the truth, Chid, I didn't despair about it. I didn't go, oh, I don't like that. I do. I thought, oh, it's another kit. Well, that's interesting. It was just it was the abundance of of stripage everywhere. Huge white stripe down the arm. Um, American basketball type shorts, except short ones with the kind of white piping and white around the side and everything. Well, I think Kelvin says in his book, doesn't he? 70s clothing uh, and 90s prices in the 80s. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and I think it, you know, he's right. You're right about the baseball, uh, basketball, I think, nature of it. They were hor yeah. Very American, wasn't it? It was horrible. Tony? I was going to say something about the, the shortness of the shorts. I'm not that played football around. 
<coughs> closing up until that point. And even when I was at Le you know, at school in the late seventies, we did not want to wear baggy shorts like they wore in the fifties. We didn't want to do it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it was the fashion. And there's, we look back and we go, oh, ha, oh, oh, short shorts. Or we go back and wear, oh, look, flared trousers and all this sort of stuff without kind of contextualising it with the fact that it was very trendy then. It, it, it looked good. No one was going, I don't want to ridiculous in short shorts because every club did it. Yeah. It wasn't just us. We weren't sort of walking around in a, in a thong. Yeah. We were walking around in shorts, the same as other people. It was just the fashion of the time. And, uh, and I just remember feeling, uh, I think uh, the last time I saw a pair of them in real life was in the famous shot of Alan Partridge in his, uh, in his travel <laughs> tavern where it, where it slips out in front of his, um, his PA or whatever. Yeah, he's like, yeah. he's like, oh, Alan, you've, uh, you've popped out. And he's like, but that was, that was one problem with them. Unless you had um, sufficiently strengthened undergarments on yeah. Handy for Gary Lineker, though, if he needed to go on the pitch. Well, of course, yes, yes, you know. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> a very good point, actually, Tony, is that you would, if you wanted to wear a pair of shorts, say, to the park or something with your, uh, your plimsolls, you'd wear a pair of those short shorts because that's what yes. you had. Yes. And they were the shorts that you wore. I inadvertently went into Harrods wearing a pair of short shorts like that once. Mm. And I didn't have a top on. I got asked to leave. What a surprise. Yeah. did you say check no i've done that joke so many times i'm not i'm not doing it again right let's get into the football uh you know i've interviewed him don't you duncan norvell oh have you yeah. Yeah. chasing I, I, for it no 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 i had to pay him that was even worse uh actually i don't don't think i did it was i, I don't let don't don't divert me down these Sorry. ridiculous things uh but it was actually during the moscow champions league final when i was filming in Runcorn with Ricky Tomlinson and therefore missed Moscow. But anyway, we digress. Uh, let's talk about the football. Um, as always, we have some ins and outs. Now, the interesting thing, uh, we, uh, the, the, those of you won't know, but I mean, again, I promise that when I put the blogs up, I'm going to put links to the YouTube clips that we've discovered whilst making this series. Um, this season is the first season that Chelsea introduced... Um, an end of season review on video on VHS or possibly Betamax. I don't really know, but anyway, it's quite something. It is the Alan Partridge of season reviews. It's just astonishing, but there are some really interesting bits in there. And one of the interesting things in there is the fact that Ken Bates is interviewed several times. And actually it, it's, we, we've all, you know, just done 1985, 86 last week. And it was clear both from our point of view uh, those of us that were on the show and what the players were saying, that we fell a bit short. We were in with a hunt of getting a, a you know challenging for the title, but ultimately we were we fell short, and we fell short because we didn't have enough squad depth. And when we got a lot of nasty injuries to key players, it kind of scuppered the season. So Bates was adamant uh, when he was interviewed by Patrick O'Brien that the the, the strategy at the beginning of the season was to improve the quality of the squad, improve the depth of the squad so that we could make a challenge. And cut from the same cloth as JK, he was wanting to win the title and win all the cups. And that was, that was their objective in the beginning of the season. But coming back down to earth, the interesting thing is at the beginning of the season, he signs uh, Steve Wicks for 425 grand from QPR, which apparently was... 200 grand above what they were going to ask for which seems like a very odd signing to me and uh, he also uh, signed Roy Wegley, who nobody knew much about I think he'd been playing for Tampa Bay Rowdies uh, who were managed by Rodney Marsh 
who who recommended him um we also got rid of uh you know dear old canners paul cannibal uh, a little a few months into the season he went to reading for 50 grand we'll hear about that in a minute because paul uh, talked to me on the chelsea special when i interviewed him about his move to reading and and how that all happened but um dan um i'll ask you first um we had, I mean, you know, we basically had a pretty good defence with John McLaughlin and, and Colin Bates at the heart yeah. of it. And we got rid of Steve Wicks to QPR a few years before. Um, from Kelvin's book, it, the idea was that Pates would go to the troublesome left-back position. But, you know, why, why, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It seems like a really odd signing to me. Yeah, I mean, you think you'd, you'd go for like a, a, a left-back. I mean, because I think he had perennial back injuries as well, didn't he? Because I think he ended up having to retire because of his back. It's a very strange choice because our defence, if anything, was fairly well settled. Um, and it was a bizarre signing. I mean, I don't know whether it was a, a, a bait signing or the manager signing. It just, it just seemed really... Strange because Pates had a really good season alongside Joe. It just it weird to have you know one of your best centre-halves getting out to the left back. And it, you know watching the the video you sent us throughout the season, we just defence was in disarray from the first game of the season, literally all over the place. It was just abysmal shape, was very much like this season where they couldn't hold hold well, a line together. It was worse <laughs> than this season, I think. Right? Well, maybe, yeah, no, but in, in a part where you've got. No shape and no, you know, they were just all, all over the shop. Jonathan, yeah, I, I just want to ask, John, hang on a minute. I just want to know what you thought of Wixie because, you know, you, you and, and Tony actually to a degree would have remembered him from his time before. Were you surprised that they went in for him? I'm bewildered. I'm completely bewildered why they signed him. But it didn't make any sense at all. Um, he'd gone off to Derby, hadn't he? He'd gone to Queen's Park Rangers and... Um, and we just thought, well, that's the end of that. He won't play again. I wondered if there was some backhander going on at the time. You wonder whether, because wasn't he related to somebody in some way at, um, at Chelsea? Oh, you can't make those suppositions. It was just, I remember being the, the talk of it was just, this is absurd. This doesn't make any sense as a signing. And of course, then, and Canners had gone, which I found absolutely bewildering. Because I, I, I've said this before, he was great. And he was, he was exciting. And you like great and exciting as a couple of adjectives to give to your players. And so for him just to wander off for 50 grand. And, uh, you know, I think looking back on it, I think there was a lot of, um, uh, he wasn't getting on well with, um, with certain players in the changing room. And I think there was a, there were the seeds at the time, weren't there, by the pre-season of this had been absolutely disastrous. Hadn't they lost to Torquay? They'd lost to Palace. Well, I can tell you, actually, um, they lost to Carnarvon 3-0. Oh, sorry, no, they beat Carnarvon 3-0, they beat Bangor City 4-0, and they beat Anglesey 1-0. They lost to Hibs, didn't they? They lost to Hibs. They lost to Hibs 4-1, they lost to Plymouth Argyle 1-0, they lost to Torquay United 3-2, they lost to Crystal Palace 2-1. That was their pre-season. So any, any kind of league teams they played that weren't Welsh, <laughs> they lost to. <laughs> well, wasn't it interesting that he obviously had it, well, he had some kind of vision, John Hollins, but it was a kind of vision that... Somewhat that, blurred, I think, yeah, is the expression. Yeah, it, it was absolutely, as the whole of the season will, will inform us. And you have to remember there were other players that, that just didn't get a look in, who were actually pretty decent. Well, I mean, let, I'm intrigued by the squad. We need to look at the squad, ultimately. I know, I know I'm leaping ahead again here, Chief. Sorry. You're in a premature ejaculation. I expect, yeah, yeah. It, I expect nothing less from all of you, actually. But I tell you, let's just reel back, because I think, I think it was very pertinent and poignant to hear what you said about Canners going and, and as I said a minute ago I interviewed Canners for the Chelsea special and he was very uh, forthcoming about what happened. Yeah, I think I just got the phone call. Mm. 
early in the morning. And it was the governor at that time, and that was John Hollins. How you doing? I'm saying fine. Okay, um, can you not turn up at the bridge and not turn up to the training ground? I thought, okay. Now you got to imagine, I'm, I'm 24 years old. Mm. So I'm not thinking too much of it. All right, they've got a reason, cool. But that was it. But then I got the phone call from Ian McNeil about half an hour later. Can it? You fancy going down to Millwall? So they wanted you out. They bombed me out. I've been bombed out. Now you got to understand this, right? Every first team player that heard and knew what happened, mm. well, that boy's gone. It was like, you know what? I can't believe that. And I was so embarrassed. I couldn't even tell. And I didn't even, even I didn't put it on media. I didn't report no reporters. I no, didn't phone. No. I just wanted to play football right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. But if that's what you're saying to me as a club, Chelsea, you picked this individual because he's talented. Of course, he was important. But for what he did, you chose him. You yeah. didn't discipline. You didn't talk to me. You just said, you know what? You're out. So there you go, JK. Your theory was uh, not a million miles away at all. Um, there was all sorts of, uh, I mean, you know, you talked about, um, you know, the horrible preseason that we'd had. Um, but there were, I mean, you know, there were already rumblings going on that, you know, that the squad were not getting on with Ernie Wally, of course, who uh, was a really odious character. We're going to hear more about him later on. But having said that, and I mean, Bates, Bates was adamant about this as well at the start of the season. He felt that, you know, that this was, uh, you know, not, you know, a, a good quality squad, Tony. So when the season started, you know, as a supporter, it was very different in those days. We wouldn't have any idea about what was really going on. Um, did you look at that squad and say, well, you know, we came sixth last year. We, we, were, we were kind of foiled at the last because of injuries and stuff. Um, let's, you know, I think we could give this a real go. I'll be honest with you. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't look at it and think he's made things that's better than what we had before. Because um, I had the same amusement. I like Steve Wicks the first time around. I thought he was uh, a good player. I, I'm kind of of that ilk of, of people who say we, it, it doesn't always work out when they come back to a club. Um, Graham Rousseau was a... a, a a departure from that. I think he actually was much better when he came back to us from Blackburn. Um, but back then, I remember looking at that squad and thinking, <laughs> well, mid-table again. Yeah, then. but Tony, it finished sixth last season and actually yeah. would have got higher had it not been for those injuries. Yeah, but I, I mean, like you said, there was there was all these rumblings going on. You had... Did you, you know, know much about that at the time? Not, well, only what you picked up on the terraces and in the pub. You, because there was no social media, um, and, and to be honest with you, you bought one newspaper. You pretty much only ever bought. You did go and get every newspaper, so you could get a gamut of opinions. You would, I'd go and buy probably back in them days the Sun or the Mirror, right? Um, and the Standard. You get the Standard as well. Standard. Tony. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, no. <laughs> to be honest with you, um, I would I would have just lived on the fact that whatever I heard, I heard. You know, and and um, and, and it was very much a grapevine then. Uh, so so different to today, um, and today now where your your struggle is picking the wheat from the chaff, isn't it? Really today, 
So back in them days, any little bits that came up always seemed quite plausible and all this sort of stuff. I, I had suspicions about the rumblings of unhappiness within the dressing room just from a couple of the games I went to and, and a couple of people looked into it. You know, they don't like Hollings, they don't like Wally. Um, I think, I mean, I don't think there's been as divisive a character in the club um, other than Henk Tenkate. I think he was another kind of hoodlum behind the scenes, wasn't he? A bit of a bully boy, a bit of a yeah. nasty piece of work or whatever. Um, and, and, and I get it because John Hollings was always the nice guy, you know, he, he was, but he was, yeah, let's be honest, hugely out of his depth. And I think, it, I think his appointment was, and I approved of his appointment as well, was one of sentiment rather than, you know, oh, I mean, we, we, the head. Tony, we talked about it last week. And I mean, you know, it's very easy for us all to sit here with 2020 hindsight, but oh, yeah. but everybody that I know who was going then confirmed that, and also the reading around it confirmed that Hollins was a very highly thought of uh, coach at the time, one of the, mm. the hot young prospects. So it, it, although, you know, it seemed like a massive case of, of nepotism in a sense, um, it, it was not a strange appointment. And most people were like, yeah, fair enough, you know. In, in its way, it was as brave as us taking on Frank last season. Yeah. It, it was of that, of that level. And um, maybe Bates had looked around and seen nothing but gnarly, wizened old English football managers or whatever. Um, and, you know, the choice would go with this bright young thinking or whatever. But if you're doing that, and I think J.K. has alluded to this before, where it's gone wrong with the current or the most more recent squads, is, is your, your your squad has to match the coach. I don't believe any of those buying decisions were anything to do with John Hollins. I think Ken, oh, Ken Bates was an absolute I, I, best Yeah, he, he loved to do it. Now, Dan, Dan, Dan put his hand up about 10 minutes ago. So, Dan? Yeah, no, I was just going to say, because I think it was also... Club call just started at that time as well. So yes. reverting back to the sort of lack of what was going on in the media, they had the odd, the odd sanitised club call starting. But it, was, yeah. it was hard to get any kind of concrete news of what's going on. Um, as uh, my learned gentleman alluded to, it was very much about the, the odd bit in the sun, or, you know, the odd bit in gossip and what have you. But it was, it was um, probably, probably kind of round, round peg, square holes. He, you know, if you've got to give the coach the tools, like we're doing now with Frank, we're giving him the players that he wants. So Hollands wasn't really given, you know, the right players for his system. Well, um, who knows what his system was? I think you could argue. He, I mean, it's interesting when you say about club call and the papers and all that. I think you're right. And the other thing about that time, you know, the, the, the players, you know, it's funny, this came up on Twitter the other day and I can't remember if, if any of you were in the conversation I was having with somebody, but... In those days, the, the press, the football journalists, went out drinking with the players. They got yeah. on really, really, really well with them. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. there would be a lot more kind of off-the-record stuff from the horse's mouth going on. Yeah. Um, and they would also, a lot of the players would write. I mean, I, I'm absolutely completely off at a tangent yeah. here. I've literally just read this fantastic book called Out of the Shadows, uh, which is all about England's 1982 World Cup campaign and, and that era. And, and they're all writing for things like Shoot, Shoot magazine, yeah. and The Sun and what have you. And there was a lot of hoo-ha going on. And, I mean, for example, Barcelona offered a million quid for Speedy, which was turned down. But the interesting thing was, you know, Gordon Jury had arrived, as Jonathan, will, you know, he talked about this last week. Jury arrived at the end of the season, the previous season. Now, Kerry, that put an enormous amount of strain 
on Kerry Dixon and John Holland's relationship. Um, and I've got a lovely uh, bit from the Chelsea special about Kerry talking about this right here. You know, John messed me around from the point of view, he, he signed Gordon Jury with a view to replacing me, he tried to sell me, and then I knew that, he went away, he left me out the last game of the season just before the World Cup. I, I knew what he was up to, no problem. But then he wants, to, the following season, he said, things happen in politics and football, he, I haven't gone, I'm still there, back for pre-season, but I know in the background, and it all starts to go a bit pear-shaped. You know, he's playing me, Speedy, Jury, didn't know who to play. Then next he earned his argument with Speedo, oh, he's, he's out the door. It, but I still know that I felt stabbed in the back. Yeah. And you know, how do you pull you? How do you pull it round for someone who's you know he don't really want you, and he's trying to move you out. So why why was he trying to move you out? Don't ask I mean, me. I never. I never knew. He never I mean, explained you, it. You he would deny on. it. He would deny it. He'd say yeah. I never. So Kerry's not a happy bunny. Um, and remember, Kerry's just been to the nineteen eighty six World Cup. Uh, even managed to get on for about six minutes in one of the games. So. <laughs> You know, Kerry is a top striker and he's done very, very well for us. But of course, the interesting thing is, um, we, I think it, I'm just trying to think how many games it was. We, our first home game was against Norwich, which was nil nil. Um, and then our second game was at home, well, <clears throat> our second home game was Coventry City. That was also nil nil. So early season, we were really struggling to score goals. Kerry certainly was. Um, and it wasn't until uh, the Luton game when he, when he scored a goal. And if, I know you've all seen the clips of it. He was massively, massively happy. But the interesting thing, JK, is that Hollins starts the season with Kerry Dixon, Speedy and Jury all up front. No width at all. Poor old Pat Nevins on the bench. So... I mean, I, I find that, I mean, on the one hand, you can look at it and go, Kerry Dixon, David Speedy, and, and you know, Jukebox. Yeah. That's a hell of a front line. And on the other hand, you can go, what, 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 I mean, his indecision seems to be final here, JK. Well, I think the reason he chose Jury and put Nevin on the bench is because Jury's great skills were coming in from the wing. He tended mm. to play him on the right. And, and he, was, he was a hell of a player, Jury, let's be honest. Yeah, he was unlucky with injuries, wasn't he? Yeah, so it was very well spotted for them to buy him. I mean, uh, at, the, at the end of end of the season before, he was um, uh, skillful, great shot. But I'd have thought, uh, I'm I'm not sure he would have been a great. I'd like to know really, great team man. As when it when it comes to, I think he I think he would have been pleased to oust Kerry from the team, just uh, rather than thinking, you know, these uh, this is a a setup that I'd love to be part of because. In a sense, there wasn't going to, if you played Speedy and you played Nevin and you played Speedy and Dixon, you, uh, well, he's not going to get in, get in at all. So, and he, he starts up with it and then, and then he doesn't get picked, selected for a, for a period, if I remember. Um, well, he, he's back out for the Coventry game. In fact, interestingly enough, Colin Pates and uh, Joe McLaughlin are back, thank God, uh, for Coventry. And Pat Nevin does come back in for jury, but it makes bugger all difference because we still draw nil-nil. Um, as I said, we you know the Luton game, Kerry scores, but unfortunately we got beaten three one by 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 Luton. Uh, Colin Pates goes off with a stretched off with a horrible injury, but the you know the upshot is chaps is that we we've played five games, we've scored two goals, and we've only got three points, Tony. So you know I go to I don't know why I go to you. It's just because I think you were so miserable about this season at the beginning. So I, I want to like suck into that misery. It it hadn't surprised me. Um, 
I, I think when we got a bit further into the season, I was thinking, here we go again. We're going to be fighting a battle to stay up. Um, but I think a lot of it, Chidge, at the time, was if you witnessed what you were seeing on the pitch, you were witnessing disarray. A, a, you know, a, a team that either wasn't following team orders or hadn't been given any coherent team orders. Um, I remember being at that Coventry game um, and sitting there, and I think there was one point where I think we thought we'd scored. And it was one of those moments where I leapt out of my seat and shouted, goal. Um, and it'd be sat down by everybody saying, shut up, you idiot. There's nothing. You didn't go in or whatever, you know. Nothing to see um, here. Absolutely. Um, and, and that being the highlight of the game for me. And sort of coming out of that ground, I think, and got the sort of game with my brother down to, you know, back, probably back up to the Imperial. Uh, and, and him saying, well, that's another few quid we won't see again. Um, but it's a good laugh, isn't it? And I said, that's another 90 minutes of my life I won't yeah, get back. And it was, it was reminiscent of some of the seasons we've had recently where you're thinking, do you know what? I, I, that, that's, I, I had better things going on. Um, but uh, I, I think it was, what I saw was a, a, a very, do you know what? With hindsight, I would say a very fractured team. But I think the, the being fractured was also was was, um, was was manifested in the in the selection process because you yes. never, you never knew who was playing week in uh, week out. Also, what position they were playing in. Uh, That's what I remember coming away from that season was thinking he's got somebody playing at right back on midfield. He had Darren Wood at one stage playing in midfield instead of Hazard. Yeah. And I have to say that an overall thing I will give for the season. I know it's what you want to get onto, but the treatment of Mickey Hazard for the whole season was similarly absolutely disastrous good segue about hazard jk because in the midst of all this miasma of awfulness so far the disappointing start of the season i mean we we were we were set in 17th position although it's a bit ropey isn't it actually we would be 19th in 19th after losing to luton but uh in fact yeah we were 19th when we headed up to white hart lane uh dan i don't know if you went to this one no, no, I wasn't allowed to do away games. JK, JK was there. He was there. I remember. I, I remember it because we we were going to buy in the papers Richard Goff from yes. Dundee, oh, who was yeah. a top Scottish player, and I remember this particularly. And bizarre, I was living in Tooting at the time, and bizarre, actually, I got to watch. I went to Plough Lane a lot because they had midweek games, and I was up the road, so I, I used to watch them. And I really liked several players playing for them. One of whom, of course, was Dennis Wise. But I but I digress. Um, but uh, and fashion and the way they just booted the ball up the pitch and ran after it and headbutted everybody. Anyway, um, uh, uh, I, I digress. I've, I've digressed so much I've forgotten what I was talking about. But um, Richard Goff. Richard Goff. Yeah, Richard Goff. And um, he, um, but he chose he, uh, once again bewildering as to why we were trying to buy him because it would have meant another another centre half. So I, I, I found that a really strange. Um, but but by this game, Jonathan, Steve Wicks is already out. You know, yeah, you, you've got of Colin Pex and Joe McLaughlin back in. Indeed, I suppose they needed some. Yeah, he's out. He's not playing. He's yeah. not. He's not injured though, is he? He's just no. not picked. Yeah. He just, so they bought Wicks and they never played him, which was bewildering as well. But they wanted to buy Goff, but he went to Spurs, and and of course they, we were taunted. And I remember the ridiculousness of him um, colliding with Kerry Dixon in the first six minutes. Yeah, and going off. Yeah, I remember Goff going off and thinking, and it was uh, the vivid things. I remember very little about the game other than watching the collision and him going off and me thinking, well, it didn't last very long, did it? But, um, well, the great thing was, JK, is that, as I said, you know, we can count on Chelsea to, you know, to even beat Spurs when 
things are not going our way. And my, my old mucker, John E. Martin, who is in fact from Four Marks, not Alton, the referee. Again, I see his name cropping up. But we won 3-1. And this was largely uh, due to Mickey Hazard, um, who scores a penalty on 24 minutes. Another goal on 57. Kerry finishes them off on 75 minutes. So a great win. So everybody's hopes are back up. And then we get to uh, what um, is something that we rarely see now. Uh, at Chelsea, unless we play, unless unless Maurizio Sarri is the manager, uh, and that's conceding six goals. But very rarely have we. I can't. I can't. Well, I don't think I've ever seen Chelsea concede six goals at home. So this match against Forest is quite. Um, well, it's it's it, it's quite infamous, isn't it, Tony? Tony, I'm going to ask you. And Dan, I know, has got a hilarious story about this. So I'll do all of you on this because I mean, I'm, I'm presuming you were all there. J.K., you were the yeah. Tony first. What do you remember about the six two? Yeah, probably one of the most rotten experiences. Um, do you know the only experience that's gutted me as much is when we lost three two to Arsenal when they bought on Carnu and everybody oh. went who? Yeah. And I remember that. I remember. I remember meeting a bloke called Fate right at the very, very moment who said, "I'm going to fucking do you for that." Um, and and Carnu three goals later soon told us who we were. Uh, and this game was just, at that point, after that game, you were thinking, pick out something good from that. We scored two goals. And other than that, I can't think of anything. Uh, and there were, as a defensive display, as a goalkeeping display, it was mouldy. It stank the place out. Um, well, we, we, were, we were 2-1 up after 10 minutes. Yeah, stank. And, and, and a false hope. <laughs> I mean, it's mad, isn't it? But I would say this. Um, walking out of that ground, you were thinking, Stafford Bridge wasn't rocking. That was the sign of, it was crumbling. I mean, you know, there was, there was a few dissenting voices on the, on, on the way out. Um, we decided that we were just going to go and find the nearest real ale, have a skinful and go back to my brother's house. Um, <laughs> Right approach, uh, Tony. I, and, I, and, and, uh, and honestly, without even talking about the football, we just didn't right. want to talk about it. And, no. and that, that experience, I, I'm glad I was 10 years older than, than I would have been. If I'd have been 14 or 15 at that, I think that would have been possibly the point where I said, nah, there's got to be better things to do in my life. Um, I'm not prepared to sit there. And you, you know, like the fans these days, they go, oh, we lost this game 6-2, you should give us our money back. As if, the, as if that's the deal, you know, they... We'll only come and watch you if we and if we win, we'll you can keep our money. Um, but that was one of those where you thought, "Fuck off! What have I wasted?" My, I mean, by back then, I think you could probably have got uh, three or four pints for the money it cost you to get in the round. Yeah. So in terms of that, it's it was uh, it was terrible, mate. Terrible. I haven't got any funny stories about it because it well, Dan, Dan has to cheer us up. But um, you're you're 13 years old, mate. You you know you must have been really chuffed seeing your team get wallop six two. Well, fortunately, I missed it because it was a weekend of my bar mitzvah. So, ah, you weren't there then. I weren't there, so I missed it. And um, obviously, did the, the bit in the morning, and then went home and saw we lost six two. And I was like, oh. you know, because football was, you know, defined my whole week. So I was, I loved it, and I, oh god, and I got to go and do a party tonight, blah blah. But anyway, came to party, and the bit where the speeches came. Um, turns out, one of my mum's friends is a huge, huge Nottingham Forest fan. So he basically written a fake telegram to get to my mum, and it read, 
Hi, Dan. If I know what an important weekend it was, I told the boys to eat off. All the best, Brian Clough. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. That is brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, you know, I still got it at home. So it was just, it was just. I just remember Franz Carr just absolutely tearing. Was it John Miller? Yeah. Apart? Well, he was. He was wonderful. Yeah, he was and, great. And, and Neil, I, I have to say, I, I, I was still very much of the mind where I enjoyed watching these teams playing us at the bridge, and I wanted us obviously to do well. But if yeah. we weren't doing very well, I would revel in watching players who I'd been watching on the telly we didn't get enough of. Yeah. And I thought I enjoyed Bertels as a player very much. Mm. And Neil Webb. And was... I was, but I was bewildered by Neil Webb. I remember thinking, I don't think he's very good. And he played for England at the time as well. Yeah. I remember thinking, I don't quite, is he any good? So I watched him. In fact, he got three goals. I thought, he, I suppose he might be quite good. He took his goals very well. and ended up playing. I remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually thought, oh, I think you're quite a good player. He's now a postman. But uh, yeah. yeah, of course, poor yeah. chap. But the uh, not poor chap, he probably enjoys it. What am I saying? He always delivers, though, mate. Does he? Yeah, yeah. big package. Uh, I forgot my drums. But poor old, um, that poor old boy Terry Howard, was it Terry Howard? Well, I think I think the interesting thing about this, because this this uh, seeps in, in fact, arguably. Well, you see, again, you know, I I I tell you what, I I'm really fascinated by the, you know, the difference really between football then and football now and the fact that we as supporters I think get to know so much more about what's going on and much more quickly and I'm not convinced that this was the case back in those days but never yeah but the interesting thing about this is you're right uh, John Miller who's about 19 uh, he's only played a couple of games for us he's, he's playing at left back by the way uh, Darren Wood, Spackman and Jerry Murphy are all out for this game because they're injured uh, Johnny Bumpstead Keith Jones Howard uh, all come in and there's Miller Miller as we said at left back as Jonathan and, and uh, all the boys have said France Carr absolutely rinses us down the right John Miller uh, never plays for us again but here's the thing he got dog's abuse that day because people because he got rinsed yeah. by France Carr but the reason he got rinsed JK and I think this is fascinating is that he was told by John Hollins to stay tight to Franz Carr. And apparently he said to John Hollins, mate, no, because if I do that, he's going to burn me up for pace. I need to stay, you know, a couple of yards back so that, you know, that I can stay with him. And so he was only obeying orders, as the Germans used to say. But it's cost him his career at Chelsea. I mean, that's awful, isn't it? Yeah. And he obviously, was, as he was 19, he paid attention to what was... was, was well, he did, he did make the point, apparently, but, yeah. but, but carry it, 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 was, it was Howard's first game since 84-85, wasn't it? Uh, he hadn't played either. Yeah, 84-85. And uh, I don't think he played again either. But I, it's I, an abundance of players who were actually quite supposedly competent. We moved around the pitch, you know, that, that, that always bemused me for this season. There's one particular game that I can't remember. We were absolutely aghast at what uh, Hollins had done. He had somebody playing right back, and it still hasn't um, uh, it still hasn't come to me as what game it was. He shifted everybody around, so you never knew who was going to be playing in what position, who was going to be playing in the team. It seemed really obvious to us that the the, the team from last year had been pretty good. So why constantly fart about with it? This was our. Um, our major criticism of the season. Well, in, in classic style, I mean, the next kind of few weeks, I think, you know, just sums, I mean, in a, in a weird, in a weird masochistic sense, this is why I love Chelsea, because the next match after that, I mean, we've got a thump 6-2 by Forrest at home. We then go to York City. Now the, the Littlewoods Cup, is it now, is the League Cup. 
is a, is a two-legged affair in those days. It was the Milk Cup last year. Yeah, it's changed its name, that's right. Uh, the milk went off. Uh, anyway, they go up to York, to Bootham Crescent, dear York City, who I think are in the third, fourth division then. We lose 1-0. Um, the interesting note about this is that Eddie Nijvest, Nijvest, oh God almighty, one day I'll say his name properly. Nijvest, somebody say, I can't remember. Nijvest. Thank you, Dan. Eddie is back in goal. <laughs> we lose 1-0, which is a bit of a shame. Next match, uh, we're away to Man United. Um, now, uh, spoiler alert, um, for about the last three weeks, I've been going on about the fact that Chelsea went up to play Man United away. Kerry scores. Uh, Tony Gordon saves a penalty. Uh, uh, Cheltel, the dear old Cheltel, who was the bastion of the fan cast many years ago, goes up there. He's good mates with John McNaught. Uh, so he gets invited to the players' bar for a drink afterwards. Because in those days, all the players would meet up. But there was a players' bar and they'd all have a few pints. Right, right after the game, you know, proper old school football. Uh, and Tell's there. Tell needs a pee. So he wanders off and he gets lost. And then he ends up uh, basically coming out, goes out of a door and he ends up on the, on the old Trafford pitch. So he does what any decent Chelsea fan would do, relieves himself on the pitch. I've been harbouring under the illusion that it was last season. Or the season. It is definitely, I can confirm it is definitely this season. Uh, and, and I can also confirm that when we played them, uh, we were 17th, but Man United were second from bottom. Only Villa were beneath them. So they were having a terrible season by their standards. But typically, you know, Chelsea do the business. I'm not sure if any of you were there. I'm presuming that's a no. no. It's, it's, it's quite a legendary game, this, uh, because basically Kerry scores. I mean, he scores two goals against them last season, which we talked about on, on last week's show, and they were fantastic, as, as JK will remember, as I remember very well. This season, I think he scores a goal that's even better. Absolutely wallops it into the back of the net after two minutes. So we're 1-0 up after two minutes. Uh, United, uh, replete with George Courtney, who is about as much of a homer referee as you can get, do everything that they can to get United back into the game, but fail miserably until United get awarded not one, but two penalties. Uh, and Tony Godden, the hero that he is, Saves them both, bless his heart, and we wander away uh, with a one-nil win. Um, Rugby, I think, also you know has a has a brilliant, brilliant game as well. And and I mean, I've been very harsh on poor old Doug, as have all of us. Yeah. As have all of us. But he, he did have those rare moments, J.K., when he turned up and he could be brilliant. And that was such a day, I think. Apparently so, but I I, I never watched the game. I've got okay. Idea. I just have these memories of him kicking players and the ball up in the air. Yeah, well, I kind of like that, as you know. Dan? Yeah, pretty sure. It was, was it one of the rare live games on ITV? Yeah. On Sunday? Yeah. Saint, remember... Saint and Greasy were doing the yeah. uh, pre-match for it. I remember, yeah, I remember watching it on TV and got yeah. thinking amazing goals made the saves. Yeah, remember that. Well, well I, I mean... Have, I must have watched it as well then. Oh, yeah. we all watched it, but I mean, you know, it was a long time ago. But, uh, I mean, that was a great result. Of course, it all goes completely peaked on the next week because we, we lose to Charlton Athletic 1-0 and then we beat York City uh, 3-0 at home to go through in the Littlewoods Cup. Uh, you would have expected us to do that. Um, but the interesting thing about the Charlton game, um, Tony, is that uh, this is, I think, the I think that this is the start of where it all starts to go madly wrong. Mm. Um, Hollins drops Nigel Spackman, David Speedy, and John McLaughlin. Now, you know, going from last 
year's season. And I mean, I think I said it on the show last week. I, I, what That season last season is one of my favourite seasons. I thought they were... I mean, it does help that it was the first time I went to Stamford Bridge kind of properly for a Chelsea match. Um, but I, I, I think it was really, really good. And we had some great players. We spent a lot of time talking about how good Nigel Spackman was. We effused about how good David Speedy was. And we, we were very, very impressed with how good Joe McLaughlin was, John McLaughlin was. So I'd say that's three of your best players that he's dropped. And I think in the press, what they're all really going on about is it, it seems, you know, we, we know how these rumours start now, but it seems like Hollins is targeting John Neal's kind of, you know, favourite players. Kerry, Speedy, Spackman, McLaughlin. Yeah. Uh, and it is all quite nuts. And apparently they were all everybody's like putting in transfer requests. Um, and I interviewed Kerry uh, on the Chelsea special not so long ago, and he was hilarious about this. A lot of the senior players, there were a lot of fallout, a lot of turmoil around the club at, yeah. at that time. What was that all about? I mean, is it just simply John Hollins' management? And Ernie and early Wally without shadow And Ernie Wally mainly, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to blame Ernie. I'm not going to blame John. John Hollins is an absolutely lovely man. He always yeah. has been. Yeah. Um, he goes on record... Uh, 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 he wasn't my favourite manager. Yeah. He, you know, if you want it on record, you've got it. I've told him to his face. Anyway, he's the worst manager I've ever played yeah. under. And uh, and Ernie, Ernie, I got off great with. But he upset Speedo, Spackman, his Vesky, and you know. How did he it, upset and carry with his tactics? Or yeah, they didn't or... like they they didn't like the way he approached things. Ernie was all right with me. I, he was rough and ready, and you know, get in and do it, or you'll be back for trading. I, I was all right with that because I would do what I would do. Mm. The others, Speedo would, would row every day of the week. Um, but, you know, every now and again, he's fell out with Nigel, he's fell out with any other thing. But it was just his style. But John brought him in to be that type of man because John was such a nice guy. He wanted some abrasive character around the place. Type. And, you know, in, in certain worlds, that would have been the dream team. You know, you're a nice guy, let him do all the dirty work. So he did the dirty work. People were arguing with him. But then John should have stepped in and sorted it out. And he didn't do that. Um, I just laughed a bit. But it all become, the place become a shambles. They were singing songs. Um, we were walking down the road and they were singing, uh, um, please release me, let me go, and all that. And there was, you know, <laughs> Holly, Johnny Hollins and Ernie used to be in their room. We were at Harlington and all, with the whole crescendo. You're going to, please release me. There's about 15 players singing it. So there you go. There's a song for everything. And uh, yeah. that was the one they were singing. Weren't there nine? Please release me, let me go. <laughs> They're all singing it. Uh, Weren't there nine transfer requests yeah. that were outstanding at one yeah. stage? Yeah. Which that yeah. tells you in itself, doesn't it, that something was very, very wrong in the camp. I mean, you know, you've got to be hugely inexperienced or incompetent well, to, target, well, to target a previous manager's best players who have, you know, as you said, success at a by our standards, a successful season in finishing sixth the season before, yeah. Um, and and I'm, I'm, again, I, I see the parallels with today in the, in some ways. Um, Hollins is as a greater player as he was for us, and he knew the club inside out. Had a touch of the AVB about him. Bang on, Tony. Yeah, exactly Bang on. Say. Well, go on, carry on, Dan. No, I was going to say, it, just, it, it, it reminds you sort of the, the way AVB was. And also, yeah. you think maybe the way that, you know, Bakes was bringing in the kits and Hollands just want to bring in his own players. Maybe that's both trying to make their mark. And you, mm. don't, you don't clear out 
all the players in one go. That's where ABB failed. You know, you take out one or two at a time and then, yeah. you know, and you've got to replace them with quality. I mean, you know, Kerry was a goal machine and you yeah. can't replace him unless you're going to bring, someone's going to bring you 20 goals, 25 goals a season. Yeah. I think, I think that, you know, the common feeling, uh, and this comes through brilliantly in Kelvin's book, JK, doesn't it? Was that, you know, the spirit of the club at the time of the players was diabolical. The management, the manager was uncommunicative. Um, Ernie Wally was hated and loathed by everybody because he was basically a sergeant major and treated them like kids. But actually, you know, the, the, the systems that, that, that Hollins played and the signings that they made baffled the players. They were like, what is, what is going on? I mean, how can you play under that? I mean, it, it, Tony's right, I think. And I thought the same when I was reading the book. This is so redolent of what happened with ABB when he turned up, isn't it? Well, as a fan at the time, as I said, it was just completely bewildering. But you, you had the sense that, um, uh, well, you do that thing as a fan of you thinking, if, if the team worked so well last year and all these players slotted together so beautifully, why are you mucking around with it? Is there something going on? I was always had the feeling that perhaps there was an element of truth and that, you know, one of the players was out drinking too late or they were all... There were several of them who um, weren't training as hard, um, and perhaps the whole thing was a was a, a an enormous personality clash, and that Hollins just couldn't deal with players of the stature of Speedo and uh, um, and Dixon and and Spackman as well. I'm surprised that Spackman was involved because Spackman was a complete class act. So for he him, doesn't suffer fools, mate. No, he doesn't. And I think there were words said. I think he actually said words to Bates, if I remember right. Yeah, he's an, were... he's an intelligent man as well, Spackman. Yeah. He, he was a average footballer. He was in your, your Graham Lasso. He had that kind of ability, didn't he? So he was obviously able to, well, not act as a union, but do you know what I mean? He was able to marshal the, the feelings or whatever and, and put them over, you know, lucidly. Good communicator. Yeah. I, mean, I think he had a row with Bates at one stage, which I thought was quite interesting. I mean, Bates was obviously at the same time he was trying to impose his authority on the club as well. Yeah. Um, and there was these fines going around. There were consistently people being yeah. fined. Kerry was fine, wasn't yeah. he, earlier in the season for 2,000 quid for because he, he had a, um, uh, an autobiography, obviously, ghostly autobiography out, which, um, which was critical of the club. And uh, so they were coming in and I think Hazard was fined. But I think he apologised, and so they took the one thousand two hundred quid away, the fine away. So there was there was clearly a, um, um, a, a just a whole history of 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 people complaining, and I think they complained to the press a lot as well. And this was what, what was also it was it was almost bringing the club into disrepute. Well, this this well, this runs and runs, doesn't it? That one. Yeah. I mean, going back to Ernie Wally who we kind of yeah. mentioned a minute ago, just to give you an idea of what he was like. He used to, he used to like to set up 11, 11 versus 11 games in training without the ball. Uh, he prohibited uh, Pat Nevin. I mean, we look back at Pat now and say he's one of the best players ever to play for Chelsea. He was one of our best players, absolutely, at the, at that, for the few seasons he was with us, particularly around that time. And, of course, he was famed for taking the ball, dribbling, beating players for fun and setting up Kerry Dixon or David Speedy. He was prohibited from having more than two touches. Ernie Woolley. <laughs> oh, mate, this, no disrespect, but the surname, disrespect, it was him. And try, I, I don't know, I didn't have any respect for him, to be honest, as a, a coach. And uh, we didn't hear it off. So, um, 
with that, I mean, I remember pre-season, we was in Battersea Park, I think. And what were you doing there? Yeah, doing, we doing training. Training, pre-season. Trust me, and this boy's coming out there. Yep. And we're not going to be nothing with the balls. I went, why? The, why carry the balls with us? And it, it was a case of running around like we had the ball, mm. dribbling. Mm. Everybody was kissing. Where is this guy come from? No word of a lie. Mm. It was piggyback runs. It was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Kind of going back a bit. Oh, this guy was a oh, two-army um, veteran or something, mate, I tell you, because he was always shouting. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I didn't take to to, to the guy. Um, and the play and the supporters, I mean, you might remember that as you were there, but apparently they were all shouting. I can't remember which game this was. I think it might have been, uh, it was after... We lost to West Ham 5-3. It was the Man City game, the home game against Man City. We actually won 2-1. But apparently the crowd were all shouting, you know, if you hate Ernie Wally, clap your hands. And apparently Mickey Hazard did. So yeah. he didn't like him. Yeah. Speedy hated him. Yes. Um, now you relate that story. And, and I'm, I'm, JBB, I'm, isn't it? Well, I'm enjoying this because actually I see a different parallel there. And I'm enjoying these parallels that are, that are coming up in my mind. But the windmills of Tony Glover's yeah, mind. Well, you know, what about the teenagers? Yeah, I would say this, right? When you think about that, uh, a training game where you're trying to ingrain a system, where you're telling the most skillful players no more than two touches. Who's that? That's Maurizio, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And that, that was the thing he was doing. I don't want you running with the ball. He was saying to ball players like Eden Hazard, "Don't run with the ball." I want you to boom, get it past and all this sort of stuff. That system, that intransigent system, and that sounds a very similar thing. So, you know, he, Ernie Wally may well have been a, a, a soothsayer. He may, uh, may well have been a sage of football who was looking to the future and saying, this is a system that will work. Or uh, he was, as he said, Sergeant Majorish, uh, sort of based in sort of kind of stupid, almost military disciplines, and not the person that you want... And often the assistant manager or the assistant coach or whatever you want to call him is the one that can go and put an arm around a player when the boss is just bollocked him. Peter Taylor did that a lot when he was with Clough, okay? It was his job to go and soothe the, 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 the park with the, the chairman and this sort of stuff and, and to do the players. And you often see this where, you know, if there's been a falling out, you need that middleman, that, that kind of Kissinger bloke or whatever who can go yeah. between them, fix the healing. Early Wally patently wasn't that. And he may well have been in that kind of Maurizio Sarri vein of saying, you know, this, we've got to get this super fast system going. John Holland's on the other hand, you know, is falling out with players and saying, we need to get rid of the old guard and bring in the new guard. It sounds... But I think... I think, I think my, Holland, memory is, my memory is of a shit season. Holland, Holland, but, Holland's hid behind Ernie Wally. He, well, possibly. Holland's new. And if you know John, and JK and I do... Yeah. He is actually a very sweet, very yes. nice bloke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no question. He's, he's not a confrontation merchant. So no. he basically, that's why he hired Ernie Wally. And of course, he would have been quite close to the players because yeah. he only just hung up his boots. Yeah. But having said that, you know, no communication is not a good tactic for management, I don't it, it think. It sounds like a perfect storm. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a perfect storm going on within the club. You're in the battle between, you've got this, this disconnect, this palpable discord between players and, and the, the manager and the assistant manager or whatever, you've got this friction with the board. You may well have had Bates doing what he wanted to do and, and, and this sort of stuff. It, honestly, I mean, it doesn't sound that dissimilar to stuff we've had in more recent years. Except oh, I think that's... Well, mate, at, 
if you want to know your future, just look back to your past. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting that Wally was obviously very keen on this, um, on a very regimented mechanical form of playing that I think he'd been coaching in the lower divisions. And, uh, and it does preclude having class acts. It precludes, as you say, 32 touches. Then what happens to, you look at the players Chelsea had at the time, Wegerly, who eventually turned up playing in the first team, was a class act. Hazard was a class yeah. act. Um, Nevin. Uh, Nevin was a class act. They're all unbelievably skillful. And you need to be building your teams around the skillful players. We yes. know that. However, if the coach is going, I'm sorry, I'm you're just doing mechanical stuff and drills, then uh, there's go bound to be a huge clash as we yeah. as tony is obviously well it, it's it's really interesting too you know because this rubs off on us lot and we're, we're all talking about it now we've had the hump in recent times about really decent player matter the way he was treated by Mourinho springs to mind uh it, we see it all the time and actually dan um and and all of you because i know you were all going regularly in those days you know that feeds through to the supporters so you know, you've got balmy, uh, balmy uh, tactics and selections. Uh, you've got the best players being dropped all the time. Mickey Hazard's being marginalised every time he gets a chance. He's brilliant. He was brilliant again against Man City, made the difference in the win against them. Uh, but, you know, from what I understand, I mean, you can, you know, validate this or not, but uh, the supporters are beginning to have enough of Hollands and they're beginning to call for his sack. Is that right, Dan? Do you remember that? I think there was kind of a lot of apathy. I think the problem... There were sit-ins and things, from what yeah, I, I mean, understand. Just, just finish, I mean, just finishing the last comment on Wally. If you look at a player who only made not even 20, 20 games in a professional career, he was obviously one of those players who didn't quite have enough talent, maybe was resentful to those with a lot of talent. Hmm. And it just became... So I think he played 13 games in his entire career. Mm. And also then, then became a coach. But I just remember just... It was, it was a norm to lose. It was, you know... The jokes would be, you know, you phone up Chelsea and say, what, what time's kickoff? And they say, well, what time can you make it? You know, <laughs> yeah. Or who do you support? Chelsea nil. You know, is that whole kind of, you know, it became like the, it, it was a joke at the time. We just kept losing because this is my second or third season. I'm just, it became a norm for me. Just that we'd, we'd lose, we'd play poorly. It must, have, it must have been really disappointing for you, Dan, as a glory hunter from two years ago, thinking that yeah. Chelsea were a great team, only to find out this is the norm. I mean, I guess because it, I mean, a lot of it at the time was because it was, it was an afternoon of my dad because, you know, he, he always worked really hard long hours during the week. So I didn't see him a huge amount. So that, that Saturday was always a special day just for me and my dad. And as I got older, you know, it wasn't just about getting sweets before the match. It was actually going to take a real interest in football. And I was yeah. kind of just, frust just frustrated because, as you said, the previous season promised so much. I mean, we were so good. And then suddenly, we, like we've done in the past, we, haven't, we didn't invest properly in the squad. And now we're square pegs around holes we're losing games we're getting embarrassed by you know cup exits to crappy teams and it was it was kind of like almost a, the, sort of the, you know the, the slippery step down to relegation the following season because we well, didn't really yeah. at all the interesting thing is is that it wasn't just the supporters um alan hudson mind you alan hudson's always sticking the boot in isn't he yeah. <laughs> alan hudson chopper now chopper doesn't chopper is about as loyal as they come but i think the most interesting uh, criticism that was coming out in the press, as Jonathan was alluding to earlier, was from John Neal, who criticised Holland that he didn't understand what on earth he was trying to do. And very interestingly, which kind of feeds back into what Tony and Jonathan were saying, was how vociferously Ken Bates bit back and supported Holland. But um, after the uh, defeat to uh, bottom of the table Newcastle, um, apparently there was uh, a 500 
fan shed end sitting. Now, I know that Jonathan would have been in the posh seats in the East Stand, so I wouldn't have been part of that. But if Tony was there, were you, were you, did we, I mean, you would be in the shed, wouldn't you, Tony, if you went? I would have been in the shed, and uh, I, I don't recall that. I, I mean, I, I watched that highlights uh, video earlier on, and I think that might have been the one where, uh, I think for the Newcastle third goal, you would, you would just, you could have played the Keystone Cops thing. He <laughs> uh, basically uh, just walked through the defence. Was that Beardsley? Was that Beardsley? I think it may well have been Beardsley. It was a yeah. shot. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Apparently, a Thomas scored on 43 minutes, and another Thomas scored on 69. Uh, and yeah. Beardsley scored the last on 73. Yeah, and I think it was the last one where it was basically, uh, you know, pushed it through someone, someone's legs, turned it, and then put it underneath the goalkeeper, almost Gary Sprague style. And it was like, <sighs> you know, there, there nothing I've seen in this season of uh, semi, uh, defensive semi-calamity at times has even approached that level of incompetence. Well, well so player you, just you... walking his way through and then slipping it in like, you know, under the goalkeeper. And, and, and I don't know, I don't recall. So even if there was, and I was there, uh, we would have been out the door. I wouldn't have been doing any sitting. You'd have been in the there. pub, mate. You'd have been I'd sitting have been down in the pub. In the pub I wouldn't you? have been thinking, uh, again, I'm, I'm a bit like you, Chick. If I, if I finish the game and, it's, and we've lost, like that time we sat in the pub after, you know, only losing 3-0 to City at Stamford Bridge. And we had a little conversation about the game and then we just fucking cracked on with all the important stuff afterwards. You know, but... <laughs> because I don't, want to, I, don't want to, I don't want to relive it and all this sort of stuff. And certainly I can say at that point, in, with football in general, so this is, this is more general than just Chelsea, you had the, the, the kind of decline of the 80s with the, the, the hooliganism, the fact that you were, sometimes you couldn't even go to your home game without some fucking idiot having a dig at you, even though you were a Chelsea fan like them. Yeah. You had the whole hangover from, um, uh, from 1985, all of the bad. I don't think the Taylor report had been brought out at that point. I don't think that had been no, done. No, no. And it was just, you know, when I look at it, I look at that, and it was everything. No matter what is wrong with football now, it is a hundred times better than it was then. No matter what people with the rose tinted glasses who want to say, "Oh, in them days, I used to be able to piss in someone's newspaper in their pocket," which is shit. Really, who wants to do that? And I, I, so I don't feel that same sense of nostalgia to it. I just think. Yeah, that game alone seemed to sum up everything that was going wrong with football in oh, general, Tony, also with us. I think, uh, I, think, I think you could look at it in another way, actually. And that's, um, when it was good, it was unbelievable. Yes. But when it was bad, it was yeah. terrible. And yeah. I don't think you can say that now. I think it's been, you know, it's been, well, it's been tomato ketchup. ketchup. Yes. yes. It's, it's, like, it's like drinking an Australian wine. Yeah. It's always the same. Yeah. And, and that's why I, I have rose-tinted spectacles for it, because I'm, I'm much more of a schizophrenic. I like, yeah, I like, yeah, the, you're, you're, you're I like the extreme troughs. highs. Yeah, and the peaks and troughs were yeah. probably more marked now. They're, they're probably more... Well, talking of peaks and troughs, Tony, uh, yeah. we're just lost to the bottom side in the league, and we're, only, we're, we're now one above them, basically. So it's yeah. all pretty, pretty yeah. grimmers. It gets worse. We get absolutely annihilated by Will, uh, Wimbledon at home. There, I was there. You were there. Did you? Sorry, I meant to ask you, J.K. Did you? Did you? What was your view on the sit-in? Were you there then? No, I'd left. You'd left. You. I love it. You two. Finals are off. T- Tell <laughs> does this. 
Tell does this even if we're winning. Tell, I mean, I would, I would see him. He used to occasionally get a ticket near me. And I would see him the last 10 minutes of a game. Because, you know, there's always a few people that leave early. He would move seats to get near... Get near the exit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. No, yeah. but I've Dan? always been an exit. No, but I've, you know, I still had the fear of being hit. I still had the fear oh, of being yeah. Exactly like you, Tony. There not was the face, the not the face. Here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not the money, was, not the money. <laughs> I was an RT. I'm sorry, I couldn't possibly have that. Yeah, we used to do the same because we used to walk the end of our row on the, like, the 90th minute so we'd get away quickly because we used to you know, park on Hollywood Road so we'd make sure on the full-time whistle, straight up the ground, straight up the car. I was we'd living always, in Hollywood Road then. Yeah, we'd pop. So we'd get in the car, turn the radio on just in time for sports report. James, yeah, yeah. James, James Alexander Gordon. And then always one of his Stuart Hall do his. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he, yeah. He just the way he just used to his language and you know, the way he articulated. Isn't, isn't he with uh, Gary Glitter and the Angles? I think he's in that. Yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> and yeah. the Angels. Yeah. Um, no, he was. Um, he was just just the way you know the Romans came to Stanford Bridge. Just the way he articulated everything. He was, was, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. Tongue, but he used his tongue for other things he shouldn't have done. No, I've been, I interviewed him <laughs> once. Actually. I thought it was lovely. But there you go. Um, yeah. So J.K. didn't see the. None of you did because you all buggered off. Okay, I don't I blame you. One other aspect that people mm. used to do, which we were always told to stop doing was everybody would congregate round the, the tunnel that went out the exit. Everybody would stand there waiting for the game to end or waiting for an opportunity in case they saw something. So you'd have a whole group of people would, would edge their way towards the, the exit and all just stand there in the yeah. way of other people. People would say, sit down, we have the game set, what's the matter going on? We can't stay, don't fuck yeah. it out, sit down. And then, uh, and then they'd all flee immediately the final whistle. All the stewards would attempt to ask them to leave, but it was all a bit chaotic. But yeah. that was a regular thing that we would do. All right. Well, we're now, we're now getting towards the end of the year. And as I just tipped you the wink a minute ago, we get, we get walloped by uh, Wimbledon at home, um, a match that I suspect some of you might remember for... I mean, it's actually really funny because in, the, in, the, in the, uh, at the season review video, and I presume the match highlights... You don't yes. see it, but the commentator just says, well, John, Fran uh, the, sorry, uh, Doug Ravey does something that is shameful on a football pitch. Uh, anyway, yes. Doug, he basically headbutted uh, Fashiony, which yes. I think is, is fair game, you know. But it's in the video, is it? No, it's, it's not. It's not at all. It's almost like one of those Pearl and Dean. Whatever he knows. And then the game carries on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I, I've never seen it because I wasn't there. So I'm relying on who no. was there. Who was there? Hands no, up. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't have been there. Okay, that, Dan. Fashion, fashion was a thug. I mean, he was yeah, all... Yeah, I agree. Complete thug, Dan. He was hard as nails. That whole Wimbledon team, from top to bottom, were really hard, hard players. Like Carlton Fairweather, Dennis Wise, Fashion, even Terry Gibson to a point. And he was pushing and pulling and punching. Gibson was at United by then. Well, he was left by then, yeah. I just remember Fashioner just thinking he was just a big... Billy Jones was in there, though. Yeah, yeah Billy Jones. Um, One, was, two, uh, three future Chelsea players. Yeah, yeah. Jones yeah. and Wise. Besson, Jones and Wisey. Yeah. yeah. He was, he was yeah. a classic expert, wasn't he? Maggie. They had a bloke called Maggie, I remember. McGee. And I remember going and watching them a few times. A woman behind me shouting out, Come on, Maggie! Yeah, Paul McGee was a little winger, wasn't he? That's right, he was a little winger. Yeah. Went and he wasn't, he wasn't playing. No, but no, fashion, playing was... no, 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 but, but oh, nonetheless, yeah. no, I, I went and watched them a lot, as I say. Well, not a lot, but if there were midweek games, it was just around the corner from me. And, and I, I, I weirdly, I loved the, the appalling aspect of it because it was just so obviously really pla technically planned. You, you duffed people up as much as possible 
booted the ball down a pit, the pitch as much as possible, and uh, and just uh, thuggery was everywhere. Yeah. And it, it was it was a bizarre way of playing football, and it weirdly appealed to my nature in some kind of way that that these top teams would go to plow. It, it allowed you to get in touch. It allowed you to get in touch with your dark side, J.K. Yeah, I think it did because I don't reveal it ever, and I think I it was great to see. Dan, it. do you want to finish your point? Yeah, I'll just say it was just it was just it was. Because they'd not long been in the division, it was just that was probably the most humiliating it been that season. Because you know they would literally didn't, we didn't turn up. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I agree with I, yeah, I agree with you, Dan. I've, I've got a very good friend who I work with a lot. Uh, actually, he's quite famous now, Jeff Norcott or Nocock, as I used to call him. Oh yeah, yeah, the Tory. He's yeah, a Tory well, he used to be lovely when I worked with him. Oh, he, and I, he and I used to write scripts, and we were like, you know, I would like disappear and go and have a fag, and I'd come back and hit written the next part of the script and it was exactly what I was going to write I and mean, we got on really really well this is long before he became an apologist for the right-wing Tories but he's a massive Wimbledon fan as he used to joke you know in even in those days he was Wimbledon's only celebrity fan but I tell you what mate he he was there at this match and he dig he used to dig me out about this all the time I mean you know it's like the greatest moment of their life beating Chelsea 4-0. See I think you had the, the sixth goal um Daffin by not in the forest earlier that season, but not in the forest were a good team. Yeah, you look at that, they had a good manager at Clough, and, and I think Dave Bassett. I'm not sure who he'd managed before, I don't think it was. I think that was the one that made him, wasn't it? Really, yeah, he was at Watford, uh, was that Wimbledon? Yeah, that Wimbledon side, yeah. Um, and, and so it, Wimbledon being in, 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 the, in that division was the equivalent, possibly now, of. Or, or what we've had before when we've had Blackpool in the Premiership. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it's it's the teams that you wouldn't really expect to be there. And I, I've watched that video where a passion who scores from a minute into the game from a corner, right? Which is this: the defending is just comical again. They were, they were scared as well, aren't they? Turner? Well, well, and yeah, of course they were scared. It was a battering ram for a player yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and, and 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 so in some ways, I was a bit bleak earlier on about my recollection of the season. But they, though there were defeats like that, which I kind of hold up as a badge of honour. Well, we got four 0 by these bunch of you know, uh, you know what I would call these days, or probably back then we were called proper footballers. Yeah, none of this fancy Danny on the ball bollocks or whatever. Yeah, but, always wear. would have black boots. I wouldn't have any of these fancy yeah. man kind of boots exactly. on. I just remember Fashu just almost like because he was such a bully. He just. But walk through centre halves like they weren't there and nodded yeah. in. But not just, Doug Rugby. No, Doug Rugby. No. Doug, me stuck him for the ball. But um, <laughs> go kiss, mate. So, yeah, exactly. I said, recall because I remember Tony Banks used to sit behind us. Did he really? Yeah, when really. Yeah. yeah, and I remember him talking to my dad and saying, yeah, worst, one of the worst performances we've seen for, for a long, long time. Because it was, it was, you say, it's like Blackpool coming to Stanford Bridge and winning 4 0. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we're, as I said, we're getting towards the end of the year and it, it, it really does finish up pretty horribly. We, we play well up at Anfield, um, but we lose 3-0. We held out for quite a while and then eventually caved in. That defeat sends us bottom. For some reason, we sign an Irish postman called John Cody for 25 grand. We then lose to Spurs at home. Um, and, and I have to say, Spurs were a very good side that season. Clive Allen scored. Uh, he scores 49 goals that That's season. That's right. Right, so, yeah. you know, no shame losing yeah. to them, even though I hate to say that. Um, Hazard, Mickey Hazard and Steve Wicks uh, put in transfer requests by the end of the year. Both get accepted. When you follow a big team like Chelsea, one of the most frustrating things is not being able to get a ticket for the match, especially when it's away and not live on TV in the UK. What can you do? Get updates from your mates? Follow online commentary? 
listen to the radio? Let's face it, it's not the same as actually watching the match live, is it? NordVPN have the solution to every football supporter's match day problems when they can't watch the match live. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. It's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Uh, I mean, basically, to summarise the, the last half of 86, which is, you know, it takes account of this season. I think what we're talking about here, relegation form until Christmas. Three wins from our first 20 games, 27 points. Um, but um, after Christmas it changes considerably and it starts by beating Southampton on Boxing Day and there's nothing like is there there's nothing like a bit of a cup win to get the blood flowing and get uh, people feeling really happy but before that we beat Aston Villa 4-1 we then beat Chris, uh, Queen's Park Rangers 3-1 it suddenly all turns round until we get to Luton uh, where we lose 1-0 now the interesting thing about Luton the Luton match um, and I don't, I mean, I remember this vividly, you know, even though I wasn't going much in those days, but they had a poisonous, odious uh, chairman called David Evans, who was real oh, rent a oh. And they unilaterally, not only did they have, a, they were another one of the plastic pitch brigade, yeah, like yeah. QPR, which gave them an immediate advantage at home. But he also banned away fans unilaterally. Uh, and, and, he, and uh, you know, according to Kelvin and his book, you know, even Chelsea fans didn't manage to avoid the ban for this one, Dan. Yeah, of course, because the mill came and destroyed the ground, didn't they? That's right. And they tried right. to ban the way fans. I actually managed to get in because my dad's friends are Luton Town fans. So I went to a couple of games at Luton's ground, which is still an utter shell. <laughs> I think it's got, it's got better with age. Not. No, it was just... Luton were... I mean, they weren't a bad side because they won the, they win the League Cup that year, didn't they? Like, I think they might have done, yeah. Yeah, they beat Art. They, they had Mark they had, Steen playing for them yeah, as well. Had, I'm pretty sure Mick Harford was up front for them as well, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. They had yes. a couple of good players. Had some, Steve Foster in, in, in defence. Yeah, with their band. Someone else, they have a little, little bloke played for them. Steen. Rick, and they had Ricky Hill. Ricky Hill, yeah. yeah. Midfield good. player they had as well. David Priest. Yeah, Priest was very good. Yes, yeah. really good player. Yeah. So there you go. Um, I... I, I, I Skipped over something which which I should never have skipped over, which of course you know you should never skip skip over a win against QPR. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the great thing about that game was that John McNaught, who uh, John McNaught was a great friend of Chell Tells, they they got on really well, probably because they both like getting very drunk. Actually, I think, um, but he scored two goals, one of one of which I think was an absolute superb goal, and uh, Roy Wegley scored a goal for us. So you know, old Wegley Wegley's a a mis- mysterious. Uh, seldom talked about character at Chelsea, which intrigues me. 
He was excellent, Chig. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? He really was excellent. It was, once again, a mystery as to why he was never selected. He'd come in and just take take the game away. You know, he'd, it was another one of those players you think, why? I, I felt the same about Hazard. I was a real Hazard fan. Hazard was a class act. He just somehow didn't fit. Hazard ended up playing 16 times in that this season. Well, Hazard, Hazard is still there, even though he's transfer. I mean, he's on the transfer yeah, list. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. he, but he, he and Jury impress in the FA Cup uh, replay. The interesting thing about that one, I'll come to you in a second, Dan. I'm, I'm duly noted. The interesting thing about the uh, the replay uh, with uh, Villa in the cup is that. Uh, Actually, no, Kerry's, Kerry's still playing there. Kerry gets dropped around now. It might have been for the next game, which was the tool against uh, Norwich. But um, I'll, I'll carry on. The Villa replay, isn't it that that he gets dropped from? No, no, he's played in that one. I think he, 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 got, he got subbed off. But, um, Dan, you're about to say. Yeah, just about what Jonathan was saying about Wegerly. He was a really talented player. He's only got a look at the career he had after, after us at QPR and Luton to what a great player he was. Yeah. He, he never really got a look in. I mean, all that was going on, because he could have played him, you know, wide as a winger. He had a real kind of talent about him, skillful on the ball. He just another one of these kind of weird... Just yeah, there's there's our embarrassment of riches in some areas. Yeah. They've got the fantastic Speedy. Speedy, I keep going on about it. He was, was brilliant. Fantastic, brilliant player. Speedy. Kerry, top, top player. They bring in, they bring in Hazard. Well, in, international players, JK. Yeah. But and Fury... Jury was similarly outstanding. You think, right, they've done that work. What is happening with this well, club? Jury kept getting injured. That's his problem. His whole career, he kept getting injuries, didn't he? No, that was true. But when he, he did play, play it, when he did and play. I don't forget, we had Kevin McAllister as well. Who yeah, yeah. McAllister was in and out. Yeah, and he wasn't bad. Yeah, he, he, he was, played well this season. I used to call him, um, well, someone said pound shot Pat Nevin. Okay. Demetrius Scott. Just uh, talking about quality players, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, it's, it's all getting quite frenetic here in terms of, um, it's interesting that you're talking about all these players that we've got because it's all changing massively. Stackers, just, stackers, of course. Yeah, just to give you a, a quick kind of lowdown about what's going on about this time. Our form has, has generally picked up. We're doing a lot better, by the way. It all seems to be working. But Kerry struggling for form. Uh, yeah, it drops against it, we're, we're supposed to be in for Alan Smith. Kerry has had enough. He asked for a transfer. Um, and, uh, you know, quite typically, you know, we're on the, you know, he's on the bench when we lose 1-0 to Watford in the Cup, which is the third season in a row that we knocked out the fourth round stage. Uh, and I've got a bit on Kerry actually right now uh, talking about the transfer rumours that were going on. United were in for me and Rangers were in for me and, you know, some other people were in for me. Um, while I was at Chelsea, Bates Bates blocked everything. Um, he, apparently, he blocked you to go to Arsenal and he blocked you to go to West Ham. Was that true? Or yep, it he, was. You know, um, would you have gone to Arsenal or West Ham? Good question. <laughs> would you have gone? Um, well, the way the Chelsea fans loved you, would you? I didn't want to go. Put it that way, and, and I felt I was, and I felt I was trying to be forced out, um, really? but, but but not necessarily by Batesy. So there you go. Now, coming in, uh, we've got Steve Clark, and this is, I think this is lovely. Steve Clark, we signed Steve Clark from St. Mirren for 422k. Um, Eddie, Eddie Nizvesky, uh has a recurrence of his knee injury, his season's over. Tony Godden, who has asked for a transfer, has to replace him. I mean, it's just mental. Alan Smith says he's not coming because he wants to go to Arsenal. And then just to cap it all, in February, uh, Nigel Spackman 
gets transferred to Liverpool for 400k, which is actually what allows us to kind of buy Stevie Clark. I mean, it's an it's a it's a mess, Dan. It's a mess. Yeah, well, there's there's no kind of direction at all. All, all these players and just we couldn't seem to get anything right. I mean, you know, Kerry Dixon on par with Alan Smith, and we just he just didn't get a look in. Very weird. Was what, do we have a, a million pound bid accepted by Leicester? Didn't we? Because I read his book and he, he Chelsea came in for him. For the minute Arsenal... No, he was at Leicester, wasn't he? And he went yeah, to Arsenal. Yeah, I think they Chelsea bid a million for him. Because there was talk of Kerry was going to go to Arsenal. Scores, scores the goal that wins the title in a few years' time, though. Yeah. So, payback. Yes, I think Kerry was going to go to Arsenal. We were going to get Smith. Rumoured. Well, as, as you said, he, he, yeah. there was a rumour there. There was quite a few clubs that were sniffing around Kerry. United, Arsenal. But he said it. He said it in the thing we've just heard. Yeah. Um, Tony, it's a mess, isn't it? I mean, I think you'll, you'll put a diplomatic shine on it. Um, it's a shit show. Uh, I think looking at uh, from what I've seen as well is that yeah, Kerry was dropped for the Norwich game, or he wasn't there, uh, which is two-two draw. Um, the defeat by Watford, where he's back in, but you can see other players are there, and 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 it's just very odd because now we've got um, you know the likes of you know Darren Woods making regular uh, appearances, Keith Dublin. Barely remember him, but um, I don't know. The whole thing just seems. <sighs> so you, you've had this promising little bit after Christmas, and then suddenly you've got the. What's the phrase we use on the podding shit? Regression to the mean. <laughs> it's almost like you know. Well, well you've had your little, mm-hmm. little run, and now things are starting to go. And you know, if you were if you were just an analyst alone, and you were looking without any kind of context on this, you would probably be looking at our results statistically, analysing the results and, and the games and everything like that, and you would probably come to the conclusion that not everything was good well, within you, the club. You, would well, be well, you, knew, you knew that with, with, yes. with most, most of the team wanting yeah. transfers. But I think yeah. the interesting thing about this period, so we're really talking January, February, March, is yeah. that, okay, getting knocked out of the FA Cup, you know, as a real ball ache, as we know in those days. But basically, we, we do pretty well. As I said, you know, we... Uh, where was I? Luton. We, we cup, 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 cup. We draw against Norwich away, which is a good result because they were top five that season. Uh, we beat Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. We, we wallop Oxford, who've quite often beaten us in the past. We lose to Coventry. Of course, they go on to win the FA Cup that year. We draw 1-1 at home with Man United, which is hilarious. Hilarious because uh, Terry Gibson, who Dan mentioned a minute ago actually scores a goal, hits the underside of the bar and goes over by at least two foot and the ref didn't see it. Um, Mickey Hazard gets the uh, equaliser after Davenport scores a pen. So it's a good... I mean, I know Man United shit that year, but it's always good to not lose to them. We beat Forest away, having been humped 6-2 um, earlier in the season. So that's a good result. We beat Arsenal 1-0, which is a great match, by the way. Um, isn't again, there the, the pamphlet there, Chidge? Isn't, isn't there a, a, a flyer goes around at that game uh, asking people to protest? Yeah, the SBF, whatever they were. Yeah, this is a good game. I mean, again, you know, we're um, you know we're still in there fighting. We're in mid-table now. We're thirteenth. But Arsenal, Arsenal were doing really, really well that season. I'm just having a look, see where they were. They were third in the table. Mm-hmm. So to go and beat them 1-0 in March when uh, they're chasing, you know, to, for the title is a good result. Uh, Colin West, that's what I wanted to talk about this. This was, this was, yeah, this was great. This was great, wasn't it? On, on the, on, I think it was uh, the big match that had it on. Uh, and he scored uh, 
after four minutes, and then we basically hung on. Um, Colin Lee's final appearance, Dan, which is, which is a great shame. Yeah, it's a great shame for us. I remember West's goal. Was, it was the, the way in, wasn't it? He ran through yeah, and scored. Yeah. And that, that was about the only time he played for us, wasn't it, beyond that? I think. Yeah, yeah I know, and... mysteriously. Well, that's another feature of this season. We've got a lot yeah. of talented youngsters coming through, but they're all disappearing, Jonathan, aren't they? They're all getting the, but, but the very fact that Lee hasn't played all season, yeah, when he's been a complete stalwart. He's the kind of player you don't realise. He played 233 times, yeah. yeah. And so it's clearly, you know, a top part of our history. And yet, doesn't figure at all this season. In the midst of all these different players, Murphy in and out injured. Terrific player. I really liked him as a player. Um, uh, Wood, um, Rugby, uh, um, Jones, Dublin, um, uh, McLaughlin, McNaught. McNaught for me. I have no memory of him whatsoever. Just once again, in and out. Some of these players, they didn't, make a, they didn't make an impression on you because they didn't play often enough. And yet they play and he scored two good goals. You think, good, he's going to be on the side for a bit. Not selected the following week. Hazard. Um, the, 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 the ridiculousness of Spackman and, and Speedy and uh, Nevin or whoever in the reserves. The reserves were having 9-2 victories all the time. And there was a theory at the time that the second team would beat the first team. Well, exactly. I mean, therein, therein lies the irony, Tony. I was just looking at that and how, I mean, what a result that was against Arsenal. Yeah. Look, the team that was put out, okay, which had Keith Jones, Billy Dodds, Colin West, Billy brother Dodds, of John, yes. I assume. Billy Dodds. Uh, you know, the, the, the Colin West, the, the, the salmon heir, I guess. I don't know. Then look okay, at the sure. Arsenal scene, the team that they were playing. And I bet this hadn't changed very much every single game. Whereas well, we talk, we've discussed on here about chopping and changing, dropping people. There were a lot of injuries for this game. But look at this Arsenal team. Lukic, Anderson, Sansom, Thomas, O'Leary, Adams, Rowcastle. I, I can't remember Caesar. Quinn. Gus Caesar. Oh, oh, Gus Caesar, of course. Yeah, right. Okay. Quinn, Alison Hayes replaced by Merson. Look at that team. That was Merson's debut. But look at that team. That, that, that team. was, you know, I mean... <laughs> well, they went on and won the league, didn't they? Well, you look at that, later, what, yeah. what an awesome, awesome thing that they were putting together there. Whilst we, on the other hand, were playing the, the kind of dice game. We were throwing fucking dice every game. Well, I, 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 the, the, dice. Is in? the other thing that I wanted to pick up on this, um, you know, this has had a... I think this has had a... I mean, you can tell me, you, you, as I said, I wasn't going very much in those days, but you lot were. I mean, we had 9,000 for uh, capacity for a midweek visit of Oxford United. There were 13,000, I think, at the City match earlier in the season. You know, the disenchantment, we, we've heard about sit-ins, uh, we've heard about the SBF and their pamphlets and everything. You know, it's having a serious effect on the mood of the supporters. They're calling for Hollins to be out. Uh, I mean, the home average attendance this uh, season, right? We're in the first division, remember? 17,500. Oh. But then Bates, then Bates plays the, uh, the Save the Bridge card, doesn't he? Which, um... Well, I was going to talk about that. That's a good point, JK. Um, and I'm just trying to remember what, what match it's... I think it's the Southampton home match, isn't it? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. And uh, suddenly he says that the that there's a possibility that the ground may be taken over by developers. Yeah. And that he needs as much money as we can put in. And we're thinking, well, okay, we didn't know anything about this. And but we all we all put our money in our in our pockets. We all we all contribute. We all give our coppers to this. Um and um 
uh, and obviously later on, as it's going to be revealed, he starts um, having to fight various uh, um, institutions well, that, wanting to buy the club. Get that'll the club. be the backdrop, won't it, in the next few years? Yeah. But it's interesting yeah. that I didn't know that that's when it started. It's very interesting, isn't it? Because I know you've all watched the Alan Partridge season review, but the opening shot of that is uh, above the tunnel, and they've got Save the Bridge, a great big banner in the middle of the East Stand, haven't they? And then yeah. Chelsea collection, just to cheapen it a bit. You wonder whether he was also just trying to stop the club from going bankrupt. You don't know what the state of... Uh, I mean, he had all these vice presidents who chipped money in, but you wondered what the state of... of, of well, they were buying... Well, they, 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 they financed Stevie Clark by selling SPAC, Absolutely. didn't they? Absolutely. And, and we have to say Stevie Clark was one of the great purchases. Well, so there was somebody somewhere, particularly in Scotland, because like Jury, another great purchase, like Pat Nevin had been, Somebody up there was doing their work for Chelsea. Well, Bates said, didn't he, in that video, that that was their strategy. They don't do it randomly. They actually would 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 scout players for you know and wait. And if, if it took them two years to get them, it took them two years to get them. But they'd get yeah. their man, and yeah. that was the case with Stevie Clark. And I mean, we all know what a legend Stevie Clark became. The thing that I was I started this. This is why I love this show, especially with you lot. This is that we have a capacity to do this like nothing else. I started at one point and never finished it. And we just went down this rabbit hole, which is just absolutely brilliant. The point I was about to make was to really reply to Tony, who was being curmudgeonly. Who knew? Who knew that Tony would be curmudgeonly? Because actually what happened, I think, uh, at the turn of the year, and I don't know why, I'd love to speak to some, I, I've spoken to a lot of these players, but not about this point. But basically, they got their shit together. They, as I was trying to point out, they were winning a lot of matches in this period. Uh, and, but once, once relegation was averted, that's when they went back to the norm, the mean. They regressed to the mean, Tony, and they just yes. stuck in for the rest of the season. Apart from the last match of the season, which, you know, this is the kind of match that, uh, if you don't know much about Chelsea, you really need to know about this match, um, which was on the 9th of May, 1987. Yes. Hands up, all of you who were there against Liverpool. Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dan. Dan. Uh, no. You must have been at the Liverpool match. I don't remember it. No. Three, three. Um, Tony. You. I, I couldn't see you. Your hand disappeared up the aurora borealis, mate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Dan can't remember it, but let's let's refresh his memory. This is a brilliant a mental match. Remember, Liverpool are second in the table at the time. Um, whether they'd have a chance to catch Everton, who eventually win it, I don't know, because Everton are six points. I don't know. Uh, no, uh, they, they, they haven't. Well, I think by then. <laughs> they, I think, yeah, last they, game of the season. Uh, yes. it, it was the last game of the season for us. But uh, Yeah, Liverpool wouldn't have to do it, I think. They, they were nine no, there was six-point six gap, so they, they, yeah. they were unable to catch them. But nevertheless, this is brilliant, because we've been a bit pants all season, as we know. We end up finishing 14th. And this is Liverpool, although we have a pretty good record against Liverpool at home, as we all know. What, what astonishes me, re-watching this, um, I mean, it basically ends 3-all, uh, and we, we are never behind in the game. What astonishes me most about this is all three Chelsea goals are absolute dynamite, JK, aren't they? Yeah, wonderful. Jury's free kick. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. brilliant. Uh, you know, I keep going on about him. He was a terrific player, Gordon Jury, when he wasn't injured. Um, uh, and Speedo's final volley. Was, yeah. uh, was it was his last game ever for Chelsea, wasn't it? Yeah, guess where he goes next? Yeah, Coventry. Liverpool. Did I thought he went to Liverpool? No, he went to Coventry first. Ah, Mayor Culper. Liverpool after that, but then it showed you what 
what a wonderful player he was as well. Well, good enough to play for, for Liverpool, as yeah. was Spackman. As well, the very fact that Spackers went to Liverpool showed you what a complete class act he was. Well, and also what a fucking ridiculous loss he was to us. Oh, well, when he came back, he was, he was excellent. And there's somebody who, when he did come back, because normally you say players... players who no, it's a class on. act, Spackers. It was a class act. Apart from he had back, big back trouble, I remember, but yeah. big hamstring trouble. But um, yeah, but he of course took part in the the celebrated uh, Austria Vienna game when we hardly had anybody playing because it was only English only. And Johnny Spencer scored that goal from the edge of his penalty area, edge of our penalty area. Back to 1987. Yeah, Jonathan. Jonathan, Jonathan doing. Do you, know, you actually do remind me of the the the, the Doctor character in uh, Back to the Future, played <laughs> by uh, Christopher Brainfart. You know, Lloyd. Yes, thank you, Tony. Was also, can I say he was also the Klingon Emmett. in um, in Genesis Project. He was. Yes. He was. And, and enough. No more. And, I don't and, want to know. And quickly, Different Kirk, podcast. Kirk kicked him into the ravine. Nineteen eighty-seven. Enough of you. Nineteen eighty-seven. Ninth of May. Chelsea three. Yeah. Liverpool three. You're right. Speedy's goal, uh, which well, puts three to ahead. Absolute, absolutely brilliant volley. But I've got to say, my favourite of the whole match was was Johnny B's goal. It was a brilliant, brilliant move, and and a cross comes in from the left, and it was a wonderful, proper old school diving header. Went straight past the Liverpool keeper, which was Mike Hooper. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, it was Ian Rush's last game before he went to Juventus, which was apparently almost like playing in another country. Um, <laughs> of course, he scores on nine minutes. McMahon scored on 77, and the horrible John Aldrich scores on 84. But, I mean, what, what, I mean the, the point about all this, the quality of those goals was fantastic, but what an absolutely bonkers, bonkers way to, to finish the season. But doesn't it also the fact that Johnny Bunks did score with the header? Where's Johnny been? In and out. In and out. In and out. And he was a great player. So uh, Was it not just the fact that the, the, the breaks were off? We knew we couldn't get relegated. Well, they, exactly. They couldn't. They, Liverpool had already... Uh, well, they'd lost, didn't they? They, they, were, they finished behind Everton that year, didn't they? So yeah, Free-flowing yeah, game. And so you had this kind of end-of-season, you know, let's, let's just go out and have a good time sort of thing. I, I, I mean, I detest John Aldridge then. I detest him now. But that Liverpool side had some top quality players in it it really did still and, uh, you know you look at it and think crikey they were like, again to come out with that and and, and the, you know, it makes it even more kind of mysterious and, and you know why the hell the season have been kind of wasted I mean we should have at least with the squad we had matched the season before you know I think but you, you look at it and you think yeah we, we could have finished six but we could have we could have finished bloody 19th we could have done you know, such was a. We could have got relegated. We were in relegation form. Yeah. Relegation form before, you know, by Christmas, we would have gone down. But we did turn it around and we got away with it. I mean, let's just wrap wrap this up and have a good old natter about the season as a whole. Because, I mean, you've been trying to do that all show, bless you. And I think it's a very good season for that. Just to wrap it up, 14th, 52 points. Um, uh, Pat Nevin, Player of the Year. Mickey Hazard second, interestingly enough, JK. Top scorer, in spite of everything that's gone on this season, which is probably more of an indictment on the lack of goals elsewhere. <laughs> Perry on 12. Darren Wood makes the, uh, the most appearances with 49. But if I was to summarise this season up, it would be thusly. It would be a baffling, baffling team selections and formations, poor man management from Hollins, poor treatment of the senior, particularly the Neil players, 
dispensing with the talented youngsters, sidelining the wonderful Mickey Hazard and selling Nigel Spackman. That's, that's how I would remember this season, Tony. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it was... Uh, okay. By all intents and purposes, at the end of the season, here's what I felt. Relief. Okay. Because having gone from starting in 1970 and been through what were looking more and more perilous years, failed stadium builds, uh, bankruptcy, or, or the bankruptcy, Bates buying it famously for a pound and then, you know, just being quite a horrible person, even, you know, so I was, it was almost a paradox. I'm supposed to like this horrible person because he saved my club, um, but the Save the Bridge Fund and the clever politics that he did that was to come around that while still remaining a completely obnoxious, despotic git. Um, uh, but for me, it was the fact that we hadn't been relegated. And I think I'd reached a point by the mid-80s, mid, or, or the second half of the 80s, where that, that was what I really wanted. Us not to be relegated. Us to be mid-table. Because mid-table obscurity meant safety. Right? It meant... And you, what you've got to remember, and I don't mean, I, I don't mean this as a, uh, a kind of... Uh, I don't want to put us down, but it meant that... You know, we were still in the top flight. We were still, there was still a chance that we could fulfill our promise, which, you know, had been sort of destroyed by politics, the club politics, by finances, by, by you know, poor management over the years. And to be fair, that carried on for quite a bit longer afterwards. Yeah. So I think for me, it was an overriding <laughs> sense of relief. Whatever but, you do, don't come on next week's show, Tony. Well, yeah, precisely because, of course, you know, the, the, the nightmare sort of came true. And I, I think, uh, and I'm, you know, in a way, I, and that's why I still say to people now, you, I mean, I'm without, who's it, McMillan? You've never had it so good. Was he, was him that said that? Yeah. You've never had it so yeah. good. I think. Um, without wanting to sound like that, I almost feel like that. When I see this endless Twitter diatribe of people, I mean, one bloke today on Twitter, and I know it's sort of, spare with me on this, has put up that we should be getting rid of 11 players. 11. Uh, what fucking world do you live in? We're going to get rid of, sell 11 players and replace them with what, you Burke? We're not going to fund 11. We, we were players. saying this last night, actually, Tony, that, you know, that, that there's probably no doubt that we do need to get rid of the 11. I haven't seen his list, but... I wouldn't be surprised, but you can't do that in one transfer window. Right. And this is why I was, we, were, we were all saying this, weren't we, JK, that we're going to yeah. have to, this is going to be a one, two, three, maybe four transfer yeah. window scenario to sort yeah. out the, the polling decisions that have been made over the last seven yeah, years. I, I get that. You can't, you can't both talk at the same no. time because you just cancel but, each other out. My finishing point was just to say that no matter what we do now, it's still better than what this season was leading to. By a mile. Yeah. In, in every way. In every way. I might not like the business of modern football, but it is a much better run sport. We're a much better run club. Well, it's a business now, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, and maybe that's what was missing at, the, at that time. The, 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 the sort of the, the continual battle between sentimentality and, and the hearts of the fans and, and what really should be needed. You know? And also, you think back there, and, and JK, you, I think you'll back me up on this. We didn't know any better. That's what football was. It was shitty grounds. Yeah. Yeah, it, completely. Yeah, it, it was it was disruptive squads of disruptive managers. It, it was a bit of a fire and forget thing. Oh, should we try this? We we'll try this, and and it's much much more disciplined. As much as I despise the homogenisation of football and that, 
it is a much better thing now than it, it probably was then. And we didn't know better. No one really had the vision at that point. Even Bates, who was a bit of a, uh, you know, like I said, a despicable old git, but one with money. Even he only had a vision that, that, that really supported the Chelsea Village concept, not the, the club as much, you know, uh, or, the, or the football side of it. So I, I, I look at it and think, do you know what? As, as, as we've gone through this, my, my heart sort of warmed to it, <laughs> despite my curmudgeonliness. Yeah, I know. You can't take the curmudgeon out of the, of the tone. <laughs> no, of the no. JK, JK. To defend, Tony, to defend Bates, he did suss later on that, that success on the pitch meant would mean a great deal more yeah. dodge. Yeah. And, he, and therefore, he took the plunge by getting that 50 million bond in a period where 50 million could buy you about eight really top-class players, which was when, of course, he then became vulnerable to um, being taken over by Abramovich. So there were aspects of, of Bates that did progress. But yes, he wasn't a, a particularly nice man. I agree with you completely. But I, I, can I just say what I felt about the season? Yeah, yeah. I just... Um, it was a, a sense of constant sense of dismay. You see, I, I, for example, Darren Wood played 49 times. Uh, I have no recollection of Darren Wood, particularly. <laughs> he seemed to be just one of many who would appear. The very fact I forgot that Johnny B wasn't playing. You forget Colin Lee wasn't playing. All these players who'd had significant roles in previous seasons was just, were, but after a bit, made me, made me become a bit dismissive of the whole thing. And you almost expected them to be relegated because it was so disastrous up to Christmas. It was such a, uh, I mean, just an unenthusiastic mismatch and hodgepodge and strange people playing out of position all the time. I think it that was, feeling transferred to the supporters generally. If you yeah, because of, you did, yeah. exactly, there, there were some games. And I, I, I religiously went, I had a season ticket. I religiously went to every home game because I had a ticket. But um, so you'd always see me there. But even then, that translation to the fact that the, I was in the East Stand uh, at the top and you could never get a wee because there weren't enough loos. And, uh, and you try and get a cup of coffee at half time and, uh, uh, and you, you, you couldn't get it in time because there weren't enough people selling and there were queues for that. And this is in the East Stand. There's nothing I mean, to change but, there, mate. Yeah, but, but the rest of it, the rest of it, I think, slightly in the East, uh, East Stand at the moment. Is. Well, you, you get and, a uh, waiter, mate. You should come to Gate 17. Oh, I see what you mean. We're talking about that. Yeah, but also large. I'm sitting on my own there. We're, uh, us at the top, we're all, we're all quite shoved in there with the East, East Stand upper. In the middle, there's nobody there. In lower down, there's nobody there either. So you've got this huge, huge stand with hardly anybody in it. This is supposed to be the great stand for yeah. Chelsea for the future. Yeah. It was a, it was a very strange time watching, particularly since Johnny Neal's side had been so exciting. And I think that Ker Kerry's only scoring 12 goals was a was a perfect reaction to the fact he's got Jury in there. He's he got injured for a bit. He's got players around him. He still, he still played 42 games. No, he, oh, indeed, but he. he he, he gets, yes, that's true, but he, uh, he came on a sub a couple of times, didn't he, as well? Yeah. He wasn't, so... He started not, 40 games. He's not, he's not, um, he's not in a greatest mental state. He's no. Well, he wants way. out. He wants out. He wants out as well, yeah, yeah, so... Uh, Dan, you've been very yeah. patient, dear Yeah, boy. I was going to say, you know, talking about Johnny B, he still ended up with 35 games. It just shows how insignificant everybody was, because he played 80 games. Yeah, that's good. For me, it was just... That we stayed up a little bit another season of sort of Liverpool, Man United, Tottenham, Arsenal coming to Stamford Bridge as opposed to like Shrews being Grimsby. So that was a big, big thing for me. These players, you know, that we stayed up and that we would have all these great teams coming to us again. It wasn't so much about 
that because obviously you know you cut your teeth on Grimsby Shrewsbury, you want to see Liverpool, Man United coming to to Stamford Bridge. So for, for that perspective, it was great great that we stayed up. It was it was a, it was a weird season, kind of you know ins and outs and nothing nothing was settled at all. It was a very bizarre bizarre season. I remember like you never knew what Chelsea were going to turn up. Well, they turn up five minutes a game, you know, go and get a great result against Liverpool, but then get hammered by Wimbledon. Just kind of like, as, as Marco would say, glorious and unpredictable. Well, uh, maybe, that's, maybe that's where and why he coined the phrase. I mean, it, I think weird season is a really good way of putting it. Just to go back on a couple of the points that you've made. These are the players that played over 30 games, or made th- over 30 starts at any rate. Johnny B, Kerry Dixon, Keith Dublin, Joe McLaughlin, Pat Nevin, Colin Pates, Darren Wood. Now, Colin Pates was the captain, obviously. Um, Darren Wood, you know, has established himself very well the season before, so I've got no qualms with him being a regular. Pat Nevin's arguably our best player. Joe McLaughlin with Colin Pates, our best central defensive partnership. Keith Dublin uh, did all right that season. Kerry Dixon, as we, we know about, and Johnny B., the interesting thing with that is the absence of a consistent goalkeeper, I would say. Mm. Definitely. And also, I mean, it just, it just shows you one, two, three, four, five, seven players really make the bulk of the, the appearances. I mean, I'm just trying to want, figure out whether that's, that's average or, 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 or strange or whatever. The other thing is, um, talking about Bates, you know, I'm, I'm just wondering... Um, and I think this is the, 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 to conflate it with another point that I wanted to make, which I've been saying all through the show, is that you know Tony picks up on some really interesting points there. I think you know nowadays we we are so much more aware of what's going on because there's so much more coverage about what's going on, twenty four seven news channels and all of this, the internet and everything like that, Twitter. We are so more informed, and yeah. I also think, given what we all do. You know, we stupid, mad buggers that we are, we spend a ridiculously disproportionate amount of our time doing podcasts and talking about the club that we love or writing about it. We are not normal. We are not average match-going fans. We are kind of a bit kind of anoraki, loony obsessives. I wasn't then. I mean, I was actually more... more. I mean, I actually, weirdly for me, because now this is my third, my final year at university this year. So having spent last year ignoring that i was at university because they moved it out of central london to egham would you believe i decided not to bother going and i spent most of my time dossing on mates floors funnily enough usually in hollywood road um and therefore went to a few chelsea games this year i decided i wanted to get a degree and i bunkered down i actually stayed in a hall of residence in egham and a flat down there and i hardly came to london i swerved it so i would get my degree so i was more disconnected than than i certainly am now and I wasn't as into it as I am now. So a lot of this would have passed me by. But I think the thing about Bates, I think what there's a subtext going on through, throughout this. And I wonder actually how much he was really firefighting. He's got most of the team rebelling against the management. He's got rapacious uh, property developers up his arse trying to, you know, but, you know get, develop Stamford Bridge uh, and he's trying to firefight that. I'm, I'm not a great fan of his, but I, I, I just I have an element of sympathy for him in this season. A very difficult season to be a chairman. And in a sense, I can understand why he so vehemently backed the manager. Because I think another thing to firefight might have been too difficult for him. I don't know. What do you think, Dan? 
Yeah, I think Bates was very shrewd. You know, he was he was probably Marmite, but more people hated him, liked him. He knew exactly what he was doing. You know, I think he just felt that Hollins would would steer the settle the ship. I think had we not picked up form, I think he would have been sacked. The fact that we had a bit of a renaissance after Christmas probably saved his job. Yeah. I think. Um, it's, what all Bates did, you look back at his tenure at Chelsea, which could be a whole other podcast. So he generally got... Maybe, maybe we should do one one day. Yeah. I think that, that would be a good one because yeah. it, he's a very polar... Um, yeah, very polarised. He's a very Polaroid character. Yeah, then, I just, he, he, did, he, he did write by Chelsea generally. You know, he's controversial with his electric fence and stuff like that. But I think he, he, he made the right choices. You know, he was very hard to do. No money coming in, low crowds, fickle supporters, crowd trouble, everything going on. He... he, he, he you know, he, he didn't panic. That's the thing. He was always quite cop measured with everything that he did. There's no kind of knee-jerk reaction to anything. I, I, I still convinced that had January started with two or three defeats, Hollands would have gone. I think the fact he, he bought himself some time. And again, because there's not as much money in the games there is now, there wasn't so much pressure. Had he been relegated, it wouldn't have been a be or an end or like it is now. I think it's a very different landscape of football then as well. Yeah. I think, I think the, the one... You know, my overall, I mean, you know, again, this, 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 I think, you know, is with 2020 hindsight and the, and the passage of time and everything. But, you know, looking back at this time and, and, you know, the, really the journey that we'd been on since, say, 1982 when John Neal came in, it was such a great trip, wasn't it? Uh, almost getting relegated to Division Three absolutely blasting everybody away the next season to get promoted the excitement and the joy of being back with the big boys and being able to 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 you know handle that and compete with them to do what we did the season before when i think we were just very unlucky and we we could have perhaps done a lot better even though we had john hollins and then this season i think if i look back on it now i think really picking up from what Tony and Jonathan were saying as well, how disappointing it was. And the reason I think it seems disappointing now, looking back on it with hindsight, is that it looks like all that optimism that we'd built up under John Neal and that great side had been shattered. And, and really, the Hollins and Wally between them this season had systematically undone all the good work that John Hollins had done. And I think looking back on that, you know, 35 years or whatever it is since... Yeah, Hollins and Wally had systematically undone all the good work that John Neal had done and Ian McNeil as well because don't forget how important he was and I just think that's really sad looking back on it now you know what and it really does beg the question what 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 if John Neal's health hadn't been frail and he'd been able to stay in the job well, what if he hadn't had the heart attack well exactly yeah yeah you know and he'd stayed in the job for two three four five years who knows where we could have gone in the same way with Eddie McCready, what would have happened if he hadn't? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many, yeah. So many moments in the club's history where if, if the managers have been handled differently or certain players had stayed, we wouldn't, we, it would have been a completely different story. Fine margins, football, very fine margins. Um, aren't they? But isn't, I mean, in a funny old, in a funny old sense, you know, this is, this is the beauty of football, but this is the beauty of what we've been doing in the last, you know, I suppose it's a couple of months now, isn't it? Uh, you know, looking back at all this history with fresh kind of eyes on it, and, we, and you do realise exactly what you just said there, you know, it's about moments, isn't it? It's that, that, that whole sliding doors thing, isn't it? It's fascinating. Yes. It is, um, it is. I, I look back and think, 
you know, when I started supporting them in 1970, and then you had the, the Cup Winners' Cup win the next year with was it two games in two days against Real Madrid, uh, the famous pictures by the swimming pool the night after the game, but the day before the game that they were going to play Real Madrid again. Uh, and there's sort of 27 years of famine or whatever. Um, uh, and I look back now and think, you know, this is, this is why... I think appreciation for what we do now may be stronger with the kind of older generation because we, we, we've, we've had that shit. Uh, I know it sounds a bit cliched, but, you know, John JK will certainly be like me because, you know, in 1971, 72 onwards, we didn't do anything. We had relegations and all this. It was 97, you know, when we got, and, and Rude, Rude took us to win us at an FA Cup. And I remember how spectacularly fantastic that felt. Um, and, you know, since the, the success of the club's had since, I'm not saying it's diluted more, but our sense of expectation and our sense of joy at the victories is probably more because we've seen that, because we've lived through that, that really barren period or whatever. Whereas I think if you were, if you think about it, if you were 12 when Mourinho took over in 2004, 2005 or whatever, you've, you've known nothing but pretty much unparalleled success. And now you're, what, 16, 28, 29 years old. And your expectation is probably more than fourth place with an ex-player managing you that's, you know, uh, uh, whereas we're looking at it saying this is a good start for a rebuild. It, it, it fascinates me. And that's why I always look at this. This, for me, is the period, and possibly the year after, where I could have dropped out of football altogether and gone, fuck it. There's more interesting things in life. You've spoken about this through the lockdown, about how many people, we've done it on the, the pub night, haven't we, Chich? Where we yeah. talk about people who might look at their season tickets and think, I've discovered other things in my life now. You know, that's got to be... Apparently, something. I'm married. Yes. I didn't even know. <laughs> it's, got, it's got to be something that the club are, are, are thinking of. And I, I think that in, in some ways, the lockdown period has, has been a similar experience for me as this mid-80s period was, when I could have quite easily gone, fuck all this. I can go to the pub with my brother anyway. I don't need to go to football and put myself through this. And... and and feel unsafe leaving the ground because there's a bunch of fucking NF twats outside who are large enough or people handing me anti-bloody Celtic stickers or whatever it was and telling me that, you know, um, yeah, I don't, know, don't surrender to the IRA and all that bollocks. Um, you know, so... I'd, I'd be interested to hear, you know, it's very interesting because you're right, you know, you, you and Jonathan, similar age, I'm not, you know, I'm only a couple of years younger than you both. And you, you talk about what it would have been like to be 12 when Mourinho became our manager in 2004. Dan was 13 at this time. So it's a complete opposite kind of thing that we're talking about. So I wonder what it was like for you, Dan. I mean, you know, you, as I, I kind of jokingly said you were a bit of a, you know, um, glory hunter because you turned up when we'd been doing well in 83, 84. Yeah, um, and, and then suddenly your dream is shattered as a kid. That must have been... Yeah. I think for me, it was, it was always about the death of my dad for a yeah. very long time, I think. Yeah. I think I would have been, probably got to 16, 17, and started going on my own to sort of meet the players before the game and get autographs. And it suddenly became, it became football as opposed to just a good afternoon with my dad. So I think, I think it was, and I was used to it. I think the only better. I knew we won a promotion, mm. we won a cup, inconsistent. And you know, my dad's stories, my granddad's stories about Chelsea, I, I knew it was, it wasn't going to be a, you know, a whole raft of trophies and you kind of look down the road at 
sort of Liverpool winning stuff and so you kind of oh, well I'm Chelsea I'm not going to change my team it's, that's not for us it's not what we do uh, is it yeah it's what we do I mean it was, it was a good, I reckon from up until 1990 it was very much this is what my dad and I do it was our it was our Saturday and the Sunday he'd go horse riding with my sister that was our weekend so it was that was a huge part of what it was and then as I got older you said isn't it Dan for going to football with your dad I mean, if I could have one more game, it'd be just incredible. Yeah, just just all really, the memories. Yeah. I just think when I got to 16, 17 and got a much better understanding of football, all dynamics involved in it, then then it became, I guess, a, a passion along with getting with my dad. Then it became like a real kind of very much a part of me. As much as I've got, you know, two legs and two arms, Chelsea's a part of me. Mm. It's through lockdown, that's, that's what I miss the most, weirdly, and then not going to Chelsea. Because, you know, because of... It's, it's always been a happy place, generally good memories. You know, the football's been shit, but the memories have been very good. The people I've met over the years and so on and so forth. So it was, you know, it, it was definitely about dad time and then understanding football was when it became, you know, like a, you know, a very happy double, you know, double-edged, double-edged happiness. Mm, I mean, I, I like, like, I mean, I, I just wasn't, I just wasn't really into it as much. I mean, I came to football from a very different way than you boys did. I didn't, you know, dad didn't take me to the football. Certainly didn't, well, didn't take me to Chelsea, that's for sure. And I did have a lot of other things going on in my life. You know, as I said, when I was going in those days, it was because I lived down the road and it was just another good place to go and get really shit-faced before and afterwards and have a bit of a laugh, you know. And I liked football a lot because I had grown up with it. I played it every weekend for, you know, eight years as a kid. Um... But I just, I you know, I didn't, I didn't have the passion for Chelsea, you know, that I do now. You know, just as I said, there was other things going on. Um, but it's funny, you know, the the difference is, and I, I think perhaps this would apply to Jonathan more than you two. The one thing that I would say about that time, because really from about '84 onwards, I was, and, and certainly until I got I got married and moved back down here, so almost 10 years, I was always living in and around Chelsea. And, and you know, we get all these jibes about you should support your local team and all of that lot. Don't underestimate the power living very near the local team has over you. It takes over the whole community and you really, really feel part of it. I mean, you know, for example, if I wasn't going to the match on a Saturday and I'd just be wandering up the road to go to a pub or something, North End Road, and the match was going on, it just takes over the whole area. You can hear it everywhere. And it's really powerful. And it draws you in. Everybody's talking about it. And all the shopkeepers are talking about it. And the pubs, they're talking about it. That's how I got sucked into it, really, more than anything else. You know, I didn't have that history that you all have, and that connection that you all forged. But if you live there, it, 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 it's really intoxicating. And it sucks you in. It's quite a wonderful thing, JK. Yes, but it, we lived we lived near Rangers, Fulham, and Chelsea. So it was. So it was it, your idea to have Fulham Park Rangers, was it? Um, funnily enough, I came up with J.K. Rovers. Because <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm such an egomaniac. The old Rover. Yeah, J.K. <laughs> Rovers. That was the name of my name of my Sabutio team. I was playing right right half. Um, uh, but yes, yeah, so. So, uh, my fantasy was... football team was always called Celery Vigo. <laughs> yes, great. Yes, yes. <laughs> we had a what did we have? Um, we Atletico Lens. I had 
I had um, continents wrong. Yeah, yeah. I was into my nan. Oh, well, ooh. oh, ooh, uh, ooh, ooh, uh, I like yeah. that. I but so, like no, so, 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 uh, football is there, and you, you know, I love playing it. And I was so, I was so annoying. I, I would play at school and score up one end. I was quite good. I'd score up one end and then go up the other end and score up the other. There were lots of girls playing though at the time, and they weren't as good as they are now because this was this was in the thirties, of course. And um, uh, no, so it, for me, it was the very fact that you were you were nearby all these clubs was some uh was very relevant i loved the fact that i loved all of them i have to say at that age i love going to rangers even though they were in the third division my dad uh, it, um would take me into the seats every time um i love going to uh, fulham because we'd go and stand in the enclosure and he was surrounded by people who knew him because he was a well-known actor and that was joyous and we'd go and meet some of the players afterwards that was joyous and he had a season ticket at Chelsea and he'd take me there and we'd then go and stand. I'd go and stand on the terraces and move round to whichever end Chelsea were attacking from. And, uh, but it was, as you say, Chid, the, the, the buzz in every area, the buzz in Fulham, the buzz in, uh, in Shepherd's Bush, the buzz in, uh, in the North End Road um, just takes it all over. And I love the buzz. That's something that I am exactly the same way Dan missing. I'm, I love the buzz of, because I cycle or I get the tube to Fulham Broadway, of coming in with thousands of other people and knowing that it's um, that this is just uh, uh, this is part of the fabric of the community and of my life and I'm uh, I'm missing uh, it. Yeah, it's one, those, it's one of those things that you just you just simply can't replicate in any any walk of life and you can't somebody who doesn't get the game or doesn't have you know an armchair fan want a better phrase they you can't really articulate the highs they're and the lows. In, they're connected in such a different yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's like that's why you know when you know, like the, winning the league at Bolton, Munich, FA Cup, all those kind of little moments just have such huge, huge impacts emotionally in your life. It just, it's, it's, so, it's hard to, you know, that's you know, one of the main things I'm grateful for my dad was, was just, you know, giving me football. Because most of my mates, they've got nothing more than a passing interest in the game. You know, they'll, they'll kind of, you know, most of the Spurs fans, or the Spurs play, yeah. Oh, I didn't know. That, there, that's the whole kind of thing. You know, isn't there one standout fact here? The four of us didn't know each other 10 years ago. Yeah, we're now that's, that's doing this because of Chelsea. Well, that's because of this, you know, through Chidge. You know, <laughs> you know, before I was gay, just with my dad, I didn't really know anybody apart from the guy sitting next to him. Then he got mad and had kids and he kind of didn't go as much. So meeting Chidge and then suddenly it's hugely expanded my, my Chelsea family. And I've met so many people. That's just, it's crazy. Well, on a, on a final point, I love this. We've just gone down this weird philosophical rabbit hole. We're mad. I love this. Um, but just to wrap this up finally, because it is bedtime, but uh, or dinner time for me. Um, well, I, I'm going outside to use my new telescope. Yeah, well, I don't. I well, wouldn't speak to the neighbours, Tony. It's a bit. It's you'll be all right. I can see a few clouds, Tony, but you'll be all right. But just a yeah. final point on this. It's, it's really interesting because, you know, when I when I moved out of London and and, and got married, I I I. I didn't bother going again you know I just kind of dropped it because I wasn't I didn't have that connection and uh, you know just connection to it and passion for it that, that you all did at that time so that would have been in the in the kind of the early 90s and it wasn't until I met Dr. Mark who uh, married my sister and, and and this would have been the mid 90s be about 96 and he said Oh, come on, mate. You, you used to go. You're a Chelsea fan. You know, we should go. I've been going for years. You, you'll love it. You'll love it. You'll love it. And eventually, because of course I'm lazy and I couldn't be asked to go if I lived in Winchester. When I moved back up to London in 2000, that's the, that was the promise. The promise was we'll get a season ticket. And that's what we did. And then I met Phil, Psycho Phil. 
And he just dragged me, not that I needed much encouragement, he just dragged me into the, the mother load, the heart of it all. The experience that you lot, you know, have been having and talking about for so many years. And, and that's, you know, I, you say, Dan, you've got a lot to be grateful for me about. Yeah. I, you should be thanking Psycho Phil. Because without him just basically thrusting me right into the, the heart of what it was really yeah. all about. I, 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 I could have taken it or leave, you know, leave, leave it, I think. That's, that's Le- left it would be the English yeah. way of putting it. Um, that's the beauty of <laughs> Leave it or do. Yeah, I left it down the road. That, that's just the beauty of football and how, you know, we all come to it from different reasons, different yeah. angles. And it just, it just kind of, it's, it's, I think football's probably one of the greatest levelers yeah. of anything society because all four of us come from probably very different backgrounds. Yeah. Obviously, J.K. and I are brothers, really. You knew that. Yeah, from different mothers. But it's just the whole, the whole thing, just like a, <laughs> it's such a level playing field. With the exception of one or two idiots, it's such a level playing field. I mean, look at the, the cock crew. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. Just, it's just such a kind of melting pot of, of people and cultures and everything. It's just it's, it's brilliant. I love it. Absolutely love, love it. it. What a great way to end it. Yeah. Uh, gents, you've all been absolutely fantastic. Dan, always lovely to see you, mate. Because I, I don't get to see you, you know, in the pub. And that's the point. Tony... Great to see you. Great to have you back on the 50 Years Show. We've missed you. I've, I've loved every minute of it. It's been um, great, great yeah. fun. And of course, fun. as ever, my, my right-hand man, the man without whom these shows would not be possible, Mr. Oh, J.K. Kiddo, Jonathan you. Down to you, Chief. But it'd be pretty shit, as I always say, it would be pretty shit if it was just me on my own. I don't know, though. You could... Well, uh, uh, I've had to do. You, you could start to... an argument in the room. With I could. Stuff. I could. I've yeah. done radio shows on my own. It's true. Brilliant. We'll see you all again next week. Thank you very much. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times.